Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrological forecast for July of 2023. Joining me today are astrologers Austin Kopic and Kira Sutherland. Welcome, both of you. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so I'm going to give a brief little overview of the astrology ahead over the next minute. Then we're going to jump into a review of some of the major news stories and their astrological correlates over the last month since our previous forecast. And then in the second hour of this episode, we're going to focus on talking about the astrological forecast for July and doing a deep dive into the transits over the next four weeks. Um, so for those um, that want to jump ahead, there's timestamps in the description below this video on YouTube or on the podcast website. Um, but otherwise, why don't we jump right into it? So here's the planetary alignments calendar for July that shows some of the major planetary alignments this month that we're going to be talking about. Uh, right at the top of the month, the first aspect we have is a Sun-Mercury conjunction on July 1st. Then a couple of days later, we have our first lunation of the month, which is a full moon in the sign of Capricorn on the 3rd. Then on July 10th, Mars moves into the sign of Virgo. The next day, Mercury moves into Leo on the 11th. We have a new moon in Cancer on the 17th. Then one of the major aspects of the month is there's a Mars-Saturn opposition on the 20th of July followed by Venus stationing retrograde in Leo on the 22nd, and the same day the Sun moves into Leo as well. Then the following week, we have a Mercury-Venus conjunction on the 27th, and then Mercury moves into the sign of Virgo on the 28th of July. So those are some of the major aspects that we're going to be talking about this month. Um, but yeah, first, uh, welcome both of you to the forecast. Kira, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. 6 yeah, a.m. and all. <laughs> yeah, thank you for getting up early and being oh, a yeah. morning riser for, for this episode. We did the episode on astrology and health um, last week, and that people mm. have been really enjoying that episode and really enjoying some of the topics we discussed in that. That was good fun. That was really good fun, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Austin, how are you doing mm. uh, since the last time we checked in a month ago? Um, let's see. I am tired, Chris. I, okay. I've done a lot. I, I've done an awful. I could use some astrology and health. Yep. Um, I'll get the astrology, I suppose, you know, over the next two hours. But I'm all right. Um, but I'm gonna need. Uh, I'm gonna need to be taken into the shop uh, here for a couple of days after this. Yeah, for a tune-up. All right, we'll see what we can do if we can arrange that. Um, so why don't we first talk about some news stories? So at first, like this month, it was kind of like a slow news month um, initially. I thought. And then things started to pick up, it seems like, around the middle of the month. Um, early in the month, one of the major news stories that I noticed was on June 5th, um, Apple announced a new virtual reality and augmented reality headset called Apple Vision Pro. And I thought that this was very much tied in with the Saturn and Pisces and the buildup to the co-presence with Neptune. Um, and one of the things that was interesting about it is it has a little knob where you can kind of like increase you can turn up or turn down your ability to like see what's going on in reality around you versus the virtual world that it's like projecting onto your your eyes so i thought that was like how literal sort of saturn neptune that can be and how that's kind of like building us up and taking us into this era of the saturn neptune conjunction over the next few years yeah also you... very much part of the the pluto and aquarius preview Right, that was still uh, Pluto was in Aquarius until what the tenth of June. Mm. Um, so we mm. got that, and you know, I, I 
I'd, uh, I'd, I'd spoken a, a, a plea last month for if we're going to do Pluto and Aquarius, can we at least get some alien shit, right, to talk about? And we totally got another round of whatever, whatever that was. But, you know, what the a whistleblower and footage and, you know, the I just want I just didn't feel like Pluto and Aquarius would be complete without staring at the heavens in terror. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that we got that. But that just felt like, you know, like to complete the symbolic landscape, we had to have alien stuff. And so we got that, too. For sure. Yeah, that was nice. The very beginning of the month. Um, and then once we got to the middle of the month, Saturn slowed down and, and made its first planetary station in the sign of Pisces um, since it moved into that sign earlier this year in March. So there was an intensification of that Saturn transit in Pisces, as we talked about on the last forecast. But I was even I was actually kind of taken aback by how literal and how much there was just a string of Saturn and Pisces significations and news stories in the news around that time. Um, the biggest one that happened last week was the sinking of that submarine on June 18th and then the subsequent just like media and social media uh, focus and sort of fiasco on that whole topic for for like a week basically that was was huge I think right oh absolutely I mean it was the most uh it was the most literal possible uh manifestation of it right we have pisces ocean water deep and then saturn like heavy darkness tragedy like literally crushed by the weight of the ocean i mean that's <laughs> i mean you right. can't that's pretty literal it, you I, could yeah. make it up but it would it would be lame if you made it up even the wow. discussion about because you know so much of the d discussion for like three days was like oh my God, the, these five people are trapped in a submarine and the oxygen's running out and then going to all these scenarios about what that would be like and how terrible that would be. And that in and of itself was very just Saturn um, and the, the idea of like constraint and constraining um, oh. in Pisces and the ocean. It was, it was very literal. Oh, the fear of it is just mm -hmm. like for so many of us, you know, that's one of our, you know, everybody has their fears, but that, that, Saturn fear of being trapped underwater was just too vivid for me, way too vivid. And then I got lost down the rabbit hole of looking at, you know, they kept talking about, oh, it imploded. Like, how did it implode? And I watched, you know, digital videos of what an implosion would look like. I probably should not have gone there. That's a good point, though, about fear, because we had talked earlier this month a little bit about or earlier this year and the year had forecast about like Pluto and fears and setting these different like generational fear, fears based on its decade long transits through certain signs. But Saturn actually is also like a core planet about where sometimes a person has fears surrounding different things. Oh, and I'd God. really I'd forgotten that how much that's true just classically until this week when there was so much discussion about Saturn and different like Piscean types of fears. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the, I mean, the difference is Saturn is fear of the known, right. Or fear of the knowable, like, no, I can imagine what it'd be like. Um, that's terrifying. It's not like maybe the AI will get us. Maybe the aliens will mm. get us. I, you know, where you, you do a lot of projecting, um, you know, Pluto creates that vacuum for us to project into, but Saturn's like, oh no, that would suck. Um, yeah. one thing about that, that just occurred to me <clears throat> is, you know, we talk about how Saturn's been in very strong signs for five years and now it's in Pisces where 
it has a tangential relationship at best to the significations of Pisces. It's not a place where Saturn is very strong. Um, and the implosion, right? The problem there is that the boundary, the wall, like the Saturnian boundary wasn't strong enough. No. Right. Whereas our, com our complaints have generally been like, oh, the walls are too thick. The, you know, um, you know, the, the Saturn is too strong. The boundaries are, are too strong and heavy. Whereas like this was not enough, right? Cause the, um, the shell wasn't made of metal. It was made of carbon fiber. Yeah. Literally the boundaries weren't strong yeah, enough. So this is yeah. a good example of, um, sometimes boundaries good, right? <laughs> they separate yeah. us, but sometimes they separate us from the crushing weight of the ocean. Well, and also yeah. like it brought up a lot of discussion about like regulation and that a lot of this was like unregulated or they didn't get the pr proper um, things that they could have or cut corners and different things like that. So that was an interesting additional Saturn theme of like rules and regulations. And it reminded me of that old um, saying that um, safety rules are written in blood because sometimes like the reason that you have like different safety rules is like somebody died or there was some sort of like tragedy that happened that you know caused then these other rules to be put in place mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and the ignoring of safety like you know and they had that warning that this was not safe the you know safety regulations of the building of this actual structure wasn't weren't they warned for the last couple of years it wasn't right yeah there was different people that like wrote into them and said that this design was flawed um, and that it was kind of known that it could lead to disaster. And even the name of the company was striking symbolically. It was Ocean Gate, um, which is like literally like Ocean Pisces and Saturn Gate, mm -hmm. um, which is And also striking. the name, you know, we also call like a controversy uh, or a scandal a gate, right? Like Watergate or blah, blah, blah gate. So this was Ocean Gate. Right. Ocean Gate was Saturn and Pisces. Um, so yeah, I'll always remember that. There's also a lot of discussion about um, hubris and that being part of the downfall of this from like the CEO. And I thought that was really interesting with Mars and Venus um, transiting in Leo mm. um, that, that you get like Mars in, in Leo and you get a, a news story about hubris. And um, Michael on Twitter actually posted a, um, a chart for when the dive started for this submarine. Um, mm, wow. approximately based on location and Mars was like right on the ascendant when it began if his calculations are correct and I thought that was really interesting and also interesting just in terms of that keyword of hubris and I think Mars and Leo is, is is a sign that you could associate with that pretty well yeah I actually have a whole uh I have like a couple paragraphs in the second decan of Leo uh, right up in 36 faces about how hubris is a huge potential pitfall of the second decan. Nice. And Mars certainly pushes in that direction. Yeah, well, I mean, and so if hubris like to be to imagine oneself the superior of the the gods or the divine, like clearly they they angered the sea king and he rolled he rose full foul in his fury. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't just that, though, but it turned out like this month, there was tons of different news and sort of like tragedies surrounding the ocean stories, mm. because there was also um, that boat of refugees that sank off the coast of Greece on June 14th, which is also very close to the Saturn station. And over 300 Pakistani refugees were killed basically in that, which was another huge tragedy that was sort of occurring at the same time. Um, that was also drawing attention again to like the ocean and some of the dangers and things um, surrounding different things related to it. Yeah. yeah and was... and... Oh, go, go on. Ahead. Sorry. 
Oh, I was just saying it was just horrible. The difference of, you know, focus on a bunch of billionaires and millionaires, five people and, you know, the, the ends we were going to go to, to try to rescue them. And so worried about hearing them pounding under the ocean, you know, when they thought they were hearing people versus I didn't even hear about the refugees until after um, the submarine thing came out and they were like, but what about the refugee? Like that had totally escaped my, um, I just wasn't even aware of it until that happened. And there was a comparison going on. Yeah. Well, and there was so much sensationalism surrounding the submarine thing and, and the news channels were doing like countdowns until their oxygen is gone for like days, even though the submarine, it turned out had just imploded like right at the start. And a lot of that just turned out to be media fiasco yeah. and hype when this other boat, you know, that killed over 300 people, you know, had died, had happened just like a, a week or not even a week earlier. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think the, um, the, the fact that nobody knew how the story ended really sucked people in and, you know, just in terms of like, uh, experience, everybody experiencing the Saturn station together, like how many people, like how long did how many people spend imagining themselves to <clears throat> two miles down, right? Like people like right. literally put themselves in the Saturn station. People like myself who have planets in early Pisces didn't need, uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't need a, didn't need an imaginarium to do that. Uh, it felt so heavy, uh, by, for like two weeks, I was, uh, shocked at how heavy, well, not shocked. I was, as you say, I had to make adjustments with how heavy it felt, but, um, we also got the, uh, the, as far as like wrath of the sea, we also got the orcas. Yeah. Right. There's coordinated just like this... boat hunting orcas. Yeah. So this string of news stories of orcas in different like areas, like not even all in the same area, but different areas like attacking boats um, during the course of the month. Yeah, that was amazing. And supposedly one was harassed by the boat owner originally, and that's why the attack happened. Or That's my understanding of it. And then he's off teaching other orcas how to, you know, and they're teaming up. There's like two and three going at one boat at a time, right? So that communication happening with them. And I find it. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're they're you know very coordinated pack hunters, and so mm -hmm. they just figured out what are the right tactics to hunt boats. Yeah, yeah, and I heard that there can be like trends, and and in, in previous years, there's been observed like trends of things that orcas do that like catch on and take off, and then they many of them start repeating it and doing the same thing. And I thought that was really interesting, just in terms of the parallels between. Yeah, just like animal life and, and humans and how humans often draw distinctions, but there's so many of our own social things that happen that are natural that we associate as human traits that actually show up in different ways in, in different animals. Well, yes. Especially orcas. Yeah. They're just so, yeah, there's a lot of things that are, I mean, I'm not saying humans are similar to orcas, but they're amazing, just amazing animals. They live, you know, they live really, you know, if we want to go into medical, orcas are one of the only... I mean, I'm probably taking this off base here, but orcas are one of the only animals that go into menopause. And then the mothers, the grandmothers are in charge of the rest of the pack. Like they're very, they follow a very similar pattern females wise to humans. That's interesting. Are, are they matriarchal? Because one of the mm -hmm. um, explanations I heard for, you know, the genesis of the boat hunting was that um, like a one, like a matriarch of a particular Yep. pack gang whatever of orcas 
um, was killed by a propeller. And then the other orcas, uh, the other orcas in that, is it pod? So whatever, um, um, basically sought revenge, but then ended up teaching the tactics to, uh, to other groups. Yeah, they're absolutely matriarchal. And, um, once the the female orca goes through menopause, she's then like in charge of all the young males is one of her big things. I have a friend who's a specialist in this area who's always oh, telling me crazy stories. Yeah, yeah. So I could see that revenge over probably killing or injuring, yeah, the mama bear. Yeah, so that was wild that we had all these different areas where where ocean, the ocean was coming up and and themes surrounding fear or danger or um, in other instances like safety and uh, how it was coming up. And I think it was just a good demonstration how sometimes planetary stations really do represent an intensification of the significations of whatever that planet signifies at the time and whatever sign it's going through and how we've shifted now from this three-year period that we were in of like Saturn going through Aquarius and literally at the time there being different fears and different issues surrounding the air and like an airborne illness with COVID. And now we've shifted into this period of like Saturn going through Pisces and the very first time it stations, we have this intensification of discussions and news events surrounding the ocean. And even though that sounds so literal, like almost too literal, like that's literally what we all all just experienced Mm. this month. Yeah. yeah, and it um I think it does matter that it was the first station in Pisces, you know, really drawing attention because we're not used to, you know, again, we've been we've been fearing the air, right? But now it's um, you know, there's Saturn did a a redirecting of attention. Everybody imagined themselves crushed by the waters. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of waters and moons, that was not actually the only ocean and water-related Saturn news, surprisingly, but there was another little bit more obscure news story that was still actually surprisingly important, which was a scientific paper was published on June 14th um, that indicated that scientists had discovered um, phosphorus in the water that's being um, shot out from one of Saturn's icy ocean moons. Um, they've just detected phosphorus in it, which is one of the building blocks that's necessary for life. Mm. And and it further sort of um, deepens the mystery and the suspicions that this may be one of the places that life could also um, be basically occurring in our solar system. So it's one of the places they're going to have to check out. And this, again, weirdly, a Saturn, st- Saturn story happening right around this first Saturn station in Pisces coming up. Um, and it could have much longer or larger, like long-term impacts for the future. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, let's see other news moving right along. Um, as we talked about on the year ahead forecast, and we kind of anticipated the U S agricultural department did approve two companies to start selling lab grown meat, um, in the U S and this is now going to start being offered in restaurants and eventually supermarkets now that it's been approved. So that's kind of interesting because we're starting to get, and by the end of this month, we'll start really getting in that range of the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction building up in the sign of Taurus and just part of our ongoing sort of, again, very literal manifestations of Uranus moving through Taurus and this idea of like lab-grown meat becoming more prominent as like a, a new development and innovation when it comes to food and, and other things like that. 
Yeah, and we have Jupiter doing the classic role of confirming what another planet is trying to do when it comes up on it, right? Uranus has been, you know, messing with money and food um, since it entered Taurus, and excuse me, and so Jupiter confirming that, making that lawful, pushing that forward. I find that a little bit, I mean, it's phenomenal with that placement happening and, and what it comes out with, but I, I find that really scary as well. As a nutritionist, I find that really scary. Uranian ideas around food in Taurus make me very nervous. Not a great track record. No. And we just don't know, you know, how we, you know, if, you know, in medical astrology, we talk very much about Taurus being about how we value food. And, um, and this is putting a totally different spin on it. Mm, makes me very nervous. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And, and that, you know, that's one of those shifts that seems like it's becoming more and more prominent. And especially um, now that we're getting to the second half of Uranus and Taurus, starting to see more and more of the end result of that transit um, as we get, you know, further into this decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get why we're doing it and, and, you know, the resources and what's going on with agriculture, but just that Uranian energy coming in and then with Jupiter on top of it, it just, I get nervous about the signaling and what it's going to teach the body on an energetic level with that Uranus there. It's, it's, um, yeah, that's very Frankenstein in some ways for me. Well, we get to find out. It, somebody else can find that out. I'm going to keep eating my yeah, nature grown food. <laughs> well, you know, um, so one an earlier uh, Uranus and Taurus thing uh, that happened to us is we ended up with a whole cow. This was partially by accident, partially by sort of um, panic, right? Um, basically, we were offered um, if we wanted a whole cow in like early or in May 2020, I think it was Taurus 2020. Um, you know, when there was a lot of questions about like food supply and this and that. So we signed up for a cow and then okay, the cow was, Austin, the are cow you talking was del- a cow that's alive that you're taking care of or you're buying? No, it was a, a rancher meat. who took care of it. Yeah. We forgot yeah. about it. And then a year later, Kate was like, uh, so the, uh, you remember how we kind of yeah. bought a cow? You need it's a getting the, the meat's getting delivered <laughs> today. And so it was almost 900 pounds of beef. Um, so I'm still eating. We're still very much working on the same cow we've been eating for two years now. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was a very Uranus and Taurus thing, right? Like, um, surprise beef. We've also, as a surprise, because we have a lot of beef, it's, it's great. It's local. It's grass fed. Um, given the gift of beef, right. For someone's birthday, it's like, here's 40 pounds of beef. That's awesome. Austin, if you send me <laughs> beef for my birthday present, I'm sending it back. Just Dude, it's putting, awesome. that, putting it's that out great, there. It's great beef. <laughs> okay. Dude, you've never given the gift of beef, much less received the gift of beef. Oh, right. know. Hilarious. <laughs> Instead of wine. Yeah. I was thinking um, Taurus and wine. That's true. Um, so <laughs> moving moving on like to good other... wine. Sorry. I'm talking about like fancy wine. Yeah, a wine that would pair well with a nice steak. Yeah. <laughs> or 20 pounds of uh ground chuck <laughs> all right we'll, we'll talk about we'll come back to that later <laughs> we need to move off this one so um so that was like there was already a ton of major news stories this month especially around the saturn station and then if that wasn't enough we got one last major news story just a few days ago which was the russian 
rebellion or coup attempt that um, took place on June 23rd. And this was a major, major story in the news that tied into mm -hmm. at least three different um, transits, three different things that are going on. One is the Saturn-Neptune conjunction that's building up that I know Austin's talked about many times on the podcast, um, but also it was pretty close to the Mars-Uranus square that just went exact today, but it had been building up over the course of the past week or so that we talked about on the last forecast. And it's also tied in with the Venus retro retrograde that's coming up this summer um, for, for reasons I'll mention here in a second. But Austin, I know you saw this as a major, you know, because Saturn was stationing, this was obviously a precursor to that Saturn-Neptune um, conjunction and co-presence that it, we're building up to over the next few years. Yeah, well, that, you know, the Saturn-Neptune co-presence and then conjunction is every single time um, ma a, a massive pivot point in Russian history, right? Last time was the dissolution of the USSR. Time before that was the death of Stalin and de-Stalinization beginning. Time before that was the Russian Revolution. Time before that was the uh, assassination of Alexander II and um, <clears throat> Russia going from very progressive to very backward. And so every time it happens, different types of events, right? But the uh, Russia takes a very different direction. Um, it's in, in many ways, it's a lot like Uranus in uh, uh, in Gemini for the United States in the is that you can really tell the the story if you just check in whenever that configuration is happening. Um, of course, this time, because Saturn and Neptune, will basically escort each other over the border um, between Pisces and Aries. Instead of being a two and a half year window, it's a five year window. And so I and you, we've been expecting like big pivotal things for Russia, but this time we have, you know, we have five years for it to happen. Um, and for this um, uh, mutiny and I, you know, I've, I've is it a coup? Is it a whatever? Whatever it is, it's, it's a big fucking deal. Was it uh, Prigozhin um, marching uh, an armed column towards Moscow? Um, <clears throat> you know, certainly at the very least, massively undermining the current regime. Um, it sort of um, one, it confirms that yes, big shit happens in Russia when Saturn and Neptune are in the same sign, and I feel like it it speeds up the timetable a little bit. Um, for whatever the big thing is this time because with a five-year range you can say oh i'm confident that within these five years you will have um you know a, a complete change in direction but you know it's one thing to say oh maybe that'll be 2027 versus like we're we're already seeing how should we say loud rumbles here in 2023 so maybe it doesn't take that long yeah well it's like the focal point that conjunction goes exact around 2025 but um it's already in effect basically as soon as Saturn moved into Pisces. Uh, so, you know, earlier this year, so two, there's a two year lead up period. Um, and then there's a two or three year uh, period after that, where it starts to cool down, where the exact aspect is moving away, but they're still in the same sign. Um, but now with this event happening, you know, we, we can start to see some of the things constellating um, around that pivot point that's coming up here in a couple of years. And this was an interesting first preview of that that coincided with the first Saturn station. Yeah. And some uh, quick point I'd like to make that's just really interesting is that if you look at the, as we say, the hypothetical chart uh, for Vladimir Putin, um, which I'm very suspicious of anybody whose career was in intelligence services has plenty of reasons to hide their birthday. I'm certainly not like I know it. 
it sounds right that he has a Scorpio rising, blah, blah, blah. But just like if if he's born anywhere around that that chart, he has the Saturn-Neptune conjunction, mm. right? Which is the, it's the Russian conjunction. And so mm. he's born like as Stalin is dying. Um, and so it's, <clears throat> um, it's very interesting. And so again, if he's just born that year, he has that. With the chart we have, the sun is with the Saturn and Neptune, which certainly makes sense. Um, like somewhere around there is pretty convincing, even if it's a fake chart, it's symbolically correct to have like a very, you know, his, um, um, a Russian leader of historic import to have the Russian signature in the chart with the sun there. Right. Um, but with my, I, you know, I've been thinking about, it. I was talking with this about somebody private or I was talking about this privately with someone a couple of weeks ago. Um, we have the nodes, there are going to be eclipses on top of that Libra uh, conjunction, that um, early 50s Saturn Neptune, um, which is interesting um, and maybe challenging uh, for people who have that, including uh, Mr. Putin. Um, but anyway, I, I, I was... Um, I was also just musing about like, okay, when, when do we have the, whatever the big change event is? And it's, it was, it, it just, uh, this isn't a prediction, but this is thinking. I was just looking at that. And I was like, oh yeah, the second half of our Saturn Neptune time is going to be in Aries where the Saturn Neptune co-presence will oppose where it was in the early fifties. Right. So we'll have the Saturn Neptune in Aries opposite the Saturn Neptune in Libra, um, which is in um, Putin's chart. And also, you know, uh, just, you know, that was what happened. Does that make sense? It's musing. Yeah, for sure. Not mm. precise predicting, but just looking at that and that that seems um, somewhat compelling mm. to me. Well, and South Node is a big health transit for a lot of people, right? South Node hitting any of your personal, well, personal or outer planets is a big drain on your energy. Big drain. It's like I always yeah. describe it well, as like a bucket with holes in it for somebody on a physical yeah. level. Do, do you know that there's actually a, uh, have you studied Ayurveda at all, Kira? Yeah, Sorry I've done a not. year of, I've done a year of Ayurveda, but I don't do Joytish astrology Okay, so I believe that there's actually a health technique where you're looking for what I believe is called beta, which mm -hmm. uh, I think transliterated is like B-H-E-D-A, which mm -hmm. literally means um, a period where a person has a hole in their bucket and their yes. life essence keeps draining out. Yeah. And that's a real South Node thing, right? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, you, well, oh, you're talking about a different transit. No, I, I agree. I just, um, yeah, I just, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that from, from Geotish class. That's literally like a technical concept, but what yeah. I would, what I would just back to the, you know, Russian political situation. Um, you know, one of the things that happens this month that we're at the cusp of, um, <clears throat> right now is the nodes moving into Libra and Aries. Um, and we've talked a lot about eclipses and like, kings and queens and royalty over the last six months hmm. um and if we're talking about like you know an attempt to eclipse the you know if the sun is getting eclipsed right this is the like this is a coup or an insurrection or a you know it's a move against whatever the whoever the sovereign is right it's a bid for power that undermines whoever's sitting the throne um whether it's successful or not this one didn't seem to be successful uh, again, it's a murky situation. I'm sure more clarity will come out. Um, but yeah. that that certainly seems like an eclipsing of the sun. If you happen to be, you know, the head of a nation state, like you're very much in the sun position. So that's another yeah. like piece that connects to it. Yeah. So the Saturn Neptune backdrop was obviously 
um, that makes things much more prominent and suggestive for the next few years of paying attention to that transit. Um, but also the Venus retrograde, because Venus has already moved into her shadow and she's getting ready to go retrograde this summer. But one of the interesting correlations, um, Nick Diggin Best and Patrick Watson did a live stream yesterday and they ran through um, specifically Putin's history with this specific retrograde cycle that happens every eight years in Leo. And um, one of the things that they noted that I, I immediately thought of when this happened as well is that in 1991, there was also another failed Soviet coup attempt um, in the summer in August of 1991 that was under the same Venus retrograde. Mm -hmm. So it was a really interesting like repetition of a very similar set of events um, in, in Russian history, you know, going back in eight-year increments all the way. Mm -hmm. But even more importantly than that, um, Nick pointed out in his live stream yesterday that um, Putin has this tied in very much with his personal chronology because he probably began his career with the KB KGB under a Venus retrograde in Leo in 1975, mm. that he quit the KGB 16 years later and started his political career in 1991 after oh. that failed, failed coup. So that was two Venus retrograde cycles later he he quit that job and then one venus retrograde cycle later eight years later in 1999 was when he was first named prime minister in august of 1999 under the same venus retrograde wow. so we had already been paying attention to this venus retrograde um, because we know that ukraine itself was founded under this venus retrograde in 1991 and Zelensky also has saturn there at 28 degrees of Leo. So we knew it was going to be kind of big for Ukraine this summer, but it also seems like a weirdly important summer in, in Putin's chronology as well for some reason due to this Venus retrograde. So I'll put a link to, or I guess people can check out Nick's YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash best, And he's going to post a clip or an excerpt from that live stream of going through Putin's chronology and, and tracking the Venus retrograde. So people can check that out. That's really That's phenomenal. interesting. Uh, and Sorry, go on, as, Austin. Oh, no. Um, as much as, again, I don't mm. want to be duped into believing, um, a, you know, a, a timed chart that can't be verified, that that certainly works with a Scorpio rising because it would put that Venus retrograde in the 10th. And those are all like major 10th house mm. shifts. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't Not, know. We, we we did the Venus retrograde um, example this or, or or episode earlier this month. And Nick was able to show how sometimes... You know, even other angles, like if somebody has Leo rising or whatever, sure. if Venus retrograde is regularly hitting an angle during certain signs, the chart's going to respond to that and important turning points in a person's life are going to going to happen. So I really hesitate or would caution oh, yeah, I'm not, people. I'm not against... investing in it. I'm, I'm observing that 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 doesn't contradict that. Sure. Yeah. I've just been seeing people making predictions lately and I would really caution people against using those that time chart too much since we have yeah, no, I mean, no idea. Like you couldn't have a, a more or a less reliable background for, you know, believing like a bird. Mm. Like if, if anybody who's like, I was a spy for decades and they're like, yeah, this, this is definitely when, when and where I was born. Like no matter, you know, who's, which country service, like that's not, that's not reliable, right? right. That's, you don't take somebody who's literally trained in spycraft at their word. No. Yeah, for sure. Um, and with the Venus retrograde thing, it was just weird because it made me think of how, you know, in, in history or historians, you always have this, that idea that like history rhymes mm -hmm. and that that's like almost a saying in and of itself that you can see sometimes in history. But then with astrology, we can actually see some of the patterns 
that are coinciding with that rhyming, like this Venus retrograde. And I feel like with everybody's chronology, when you're trying to study the astrology, sometimes you see that period and you almost hear the music that starts playing when something like important or like heroic happens in somebody's life, like in Game of Thrones, when they would play like the heroic music, when mm. Daenerys would do something important. Um, but then with some of these, it's like Venus goes retrograde in a certain part of your chart and you hear like the Benny Hill, like Yakety Sax music start playing, like when in Russian history, for example, here with 1991, having that failed coup under a Venus retrograde and then having another one here, it's kind of funny thinking about the times in a person's life or even in world history where things go awry or things don't work out as planned. Mm -hmm. So I really, so with, um, you know, the history does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme, which is attributed to Mark Twain. I'd want to hunt that down. But um, so astrology is the rhyme scheme. Astrology right. is like the meter and the the rhyming scheme. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and sometimes that's very impressive, and other times it's kind of a goofy song that you're playing in the background. You got to be a little a little nervous, if, especially yeah, sax. Yeah. All right. So, I think those are all the major news stories that I meant to cover. Is there anything else that we want to talk about to review, or any personal anecdotes or other things? Um, that happened related to that. I mean, we, we have the Mars Uranus square happening today. Um, mm. And I think that was actually also tied in with the previous thing. Um, with yeah. the... oh, I would say one of the only other sort of uh, news story observations is that, you know, Mars goes into Leo and then Venus goes into Leo. And then we have the, we finally have the start of the the much delayed uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive, right? Which makes sense. You don't, uh, of course, you're not going to do a big counteroffensive when Mars is in Cancer, right? It's no. just not the energy. Um, but you know, it's it's ongoing. Doesn't seem to be going particularly well. But you know, this the the start of that uh, timed quite well to the uh, Venus joining Mars in Leo. And of course, I've been looking at the Mars Venus in Leo with Venus coming up on the station as being uh, as bearing a, a very very interesting relationship to the signature under which the Russo-Ukrainian war began right which was Venus stationing direct with Mars and here we have Mars and Venus again but Venus is about to station retrograde um and so it just seemed like that there should be important stuff that happens and we've got we'll get the rest of that by um by mid-July but it's interesting to see yeah. Um, and one last thing, actually, that was funny about the Russian thing. Um, Aaron Fogel, who's been on the forecast before, post on Twitter today about the Mars Mars square Uranus. And she said, some of these explosives may already have erupted since Mars acts early. But what we may realize today is that we go to great, sometimes destructive lengths just to mm. feel seen and appreciated. And I thought that was funny um, with the Russia situation that sometimes you just, if you're a warlord, you just, what you really want is to be seen and sort of recognized. And maybe that was the downfall for for that situation if Putin had only give a little bit more recognition to to different well, warlords. Well, to, oh, was it Prigozhin, who's the head of the, the Wagner, 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 whatever, the sort of mercenary group, um, the... But, um, you know, what I know one thing that led up to it is that um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of rivalry between the Wagner group uh, and the like normal Russian military and that, oh, there was some decree, uh, I forget, that was going to like limit or kind of neuter uh, Wagner 
um, that was going to take effect on July 1st. And many people think that this um, uh, this mutiny was mutiny or coup or whatever um, was a, you know, a, a very clear reaction against that. And dude, uh, Prigozhin wanted to take over. He wanted to be head of the military. And he's like, hey, um, we've been doing a much better job than the standard uh, military, but they've been um, sort of pecking at each other um, quite uh uh, quite publicly over the last several months. So like literally like, hey, I'm doing a great job. Why them? Why not me? Um, I, I like that ties into it um, in, in a very observable way. Yeah. And I also actually, just I, this, I was, real I was quick, just this joking, is like I was just a, joke, joking actually by taking like a psychological interpretation of no, it. But I mean, like, it's, 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 I mean, it's I know it's kind of true, there. but it's also just funny. Also, how many like potential coups have you seen uh, announced on social media? Yeah, right. that's, that's pretty. That's a pretty Venus and Leo, um, it is. Uh, you know, move. Yeah, well, it's reminded me a lot of the Roman Empire because stuff like that's that's like exactly what happened with like Caesar and stuff. Is you have the empire and you have these different generals that get in charge of these vast military contingents, and then what happens if one of them decides to like march on the homeland is is basically what led to the Roman Empire and the fall of the Republic. So. It's kind of funny because if you imagine if Twitter existed back then, that's exactly what you would be seeing mm. basically in like Rome in the first few centuries BC. Oh God. Yeah. The um um, you know, I was going over uh was it uh Firmicus and, and Valens delineations for planetary combinations last month at, at uh Norwalk. And you know, so I'm going through with people, it's like this is like so much of the stuff is just perfect for social media, like that. Uh <laughs> I love that, how you like, guys think about this. Like once you know, once you get a few centuries, you know, once you get past Augustus and things aren't so, uh, you know, uh, there's not so much Pax Romana. Like it's just like squabbling nobility and allegations of sexual impropriety. Like they would have loved Twitter. Like mm, it's yeah. just like late Roman Empire, like late late Western Roman Empire, just would have loved Twitter. It would have been the most popular thing ever. Yeah, I would have liked to see Mark Anthony's Twitter account maybe more than any ancient figure. Oh that would be um, amazing. All right. So I think that's good for news and announcements. Shall we transition into talking about um, the second half? And I think mm. we have a, a sponsor before we get there. Sound good? Sure. Great. All right. So our sponsor this month is shout out to Sphere and Sundry. So Sphere and Sundry is astrological magic, talismans, and materia. And um, as you kind of know from me talking about elections or good elections can be both hard to find and fleeting even once you have a really good electional chart. Uh, but that's where Sphere and Sundry comes in, where Austin himself actually picks out some of the best and rarest elections available. And then Caitlin captures them in a bottle using astrological magic and ritual based on protocols found in the Picatrix. Um, so this is part of your process each month, uh, right, Austin, as you pick out the different elections coming up in the future? Yeah, I mean, I wish there was one every month. Um, you know, there the 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 electional strictures for doing magic, astrological magic, especially, um, you know, if you're going to cast it as a talisman or, you know, um, bring it into a, what should we say, a lasting form or an oil that's going to be around for years. Uh, it's really strict. Um, and so, you know, just, I would say between three and five a year is what I can find. So it's really more part of my, my yearly prep. Um, but every month would be great. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, yeah, but no, you really sure. got to hunt. 
So you hunt down these elections, and then Caitlin sort of captures the results, which are then available as anointing oils, bath salts, candles, sprays, incense, and more, um, which people can then apply to themselves or use in their space to get some of the benefits of great transits whenever you need them. So the Sphere and Sundry website has almost 5,000 reviews, which you can check out along with all of their offerings at spheresundry.com. Their most recent Thema Mundi project took five years to create and is currently open for pre-order. That was a really big announcement over the past month. Um, how did all of that come together, Austin? Well, um, so it required getting a great election for all of the all the planets positions at the beginning of well in in the creation of the universe right the theme monday chart so we needed a good moon in cancer a good um sun in leo a good mercury in virgo venus in libra mars in scorpio jupiter in sagittarius and saturn in capricorn and kate had this idea i think at the end of 2018 um within the first six months of starting the project she was like i can get them all I can catch them all. Like if I'd started four years later, I couldn't get all of these. Mm. Um, but she got all of them. Those are individual series. And then uh, richly combined them uh, over with a, a using a, a seven day ritual and confinement last year. Um, and so the resulting material, I guess I'm one of two people who's used it, um, is pretty fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> I would say that, uh, you know, I've guinea pigged and utilized all this stuff, but the, the theme of Monday stuff, in addition to other qualities also has an immediately psychedelic effect, which is not a result of any of the plants in there. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty extraordinary. Um, Thanks. very much looking forward to that going out and mutating the world. Awesome. For the better. For sure. So um, orders from Sear and Sundry typically ship the same business day. Um, they've got a pretty warm and welcoming client community to help get people get started and answer all their questions. And each of the products, which I love, comes with an in-depth write-up in paper form, which are really engaging and informative for people who want to learn more about the stars and the planetary placements in each of the elections for each product. So people can find out more information at spheresundry.com. All right. Awesome. Well, why don't we transition into talking about the forecast for July at this point? Um, so here's the planetary alignments calendar, which shows um, some of the major alignments we're going to be talking about. The main one, of course, we're going to focus on is the Venus retrograde in Leo, as well as the Mars-Saturn opposition, both of which take place mid to late July. Um, but we've got some, some buildup and some other stuff before we get there. All right, so let me pull up a chart for July 1st so we can see where the planets are when we begin the month. All right, there we go, July 1st. So we're coming off of the Sun-Mercury conjunction in Cancer, which occurred at the very end of June. We see Venus and Mars still in Leo, moving through the last decan of that sign on July 1st. Um, Jupiter is beginning its buildup to the conjunction with Taurus, or Jupiter is building the buildup to the conjunction with Uranus, which by the end of July, Jupiter will actually be within 10 degrees of conjoining Uranus. So that conjunction is really starting to heat up this month. Um, we see Saturn retrograde still at seven degrees of Pisces, but it's about to fall back to six degrees. And Pluto has retrograded back into Capricorn, 
uh, where it's going to stay for a bit before eventually moving back into Aquarius, uh, I think later this year, or early next year. So um, where do we start or what should we start with for the top of July? Well, you, there are a couple are, different oh. places. There's a number of things are in process, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised at how much we can already see the Venus retrograde is coming in really hot. And we did a whole episode on that this month with, I did with Nick Diggin-Best and Patrick Watson, where we got into some really interesting stuff about what Venus retrograde means and how you have some of the, the classic stuff, which can be relationship stuff coming up, old relationships coming back, sometimes um, Venus-related scandals and things like that, because the retrograde can sometimes invert the normal significations of Venus. Um, but also we you know, as we talked about earlier, sometimes Venus retrogrades can just indicate important turning points in a person's life and like a pivot point where something important happens in some other area that's not necessarily always relationships. Um, has this Venus retrograde cycle, I guess it's a repeating one from eight years ago. Um, is this one an important one for either of you or have you seen it show up notably for you in the past? Yeah, this one's pretty huge for me. Um, um, so got together with Kate, like, I don't know, a month and a half before this one started. Um, and then like, you know, within, within the zone, right. But, you know, got together with Kate right before it happened in 20, 2007. Um, we got married right after it happened in 2015. Um, I started doing this podcast with you right before it happened in 2015. Um, you know, big. Uh, big important relationship stuff but you know both professional and um you know life partner romantic mm. yeah 25. that's huge yeah it's um i'm born venus retrograde so i always find it interesting to watch venus retrogrades in general and what they trigger off um and with it in a fire sign as well um 2015 for me was um probably one of the most stressful years in my relationship of I'm in a 22 year relationship. So my husband at the time had a lot, a lot of stress going on. So it was interesting how to ride in 2015. It was kind of like not being, they were so stressed. I, I didn't have my partner in relationship because they had to be off doing other stuff, whether it was physically in another country or just mentally not there. So it was Venus retrogrades for me tend to be really intense. But again, I'm born Venus retrograde. What uh, what sign is it in for you natally? Natally, I'm um, in Aries. Aries, okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. That was one of the things we discussed is sometimes people born with Venus retrogrades sometimes are responding more to some subsequent retrogrades just as a transit in general. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Venus retrograde generally, I don't, I'm not having a bad time of it. It can, 2015 was a great year for my career. Um, so I can't really complain, but I end up very energetically. I end up a little bit solo during re Venus retrograde. Sometimes not in a, I'm an Aries anyway, I can handle that. You know, it's so, but it's a real kind of reset for me and how I'm operating within a relationship. Yeah, there can be that real like reflective or like introspective period for that that 40 days and 40 nights that Venus is going retrograde where you have an opportunity to rethink things and relook at things and reassess things and decide where you want to go once once Venus stations and starts moving forward again. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to look at because for my husband, he's finishing a cycle, right? Like while this retrograde is going to happen, he's pretty much finishing a cycle that started at that time. So I'm really interested to look at that. And yeah. And he's nice. a Venus in another fire sign, but not retro. Mm. 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 Okay. Yeah, I, I find that Venus retrogrades um, tend to, what should we say, problematize. They they bring the same kind of ambivalence that we get during Mercury retrogrades, but they bring it to more heartfelt matters where they make, we begin questioning like, oh, I thought I liked chocolate and didn't like vanilla, but you're like, hmm, chocolate's, I don't know, it's okay. <laughs> you know, vanilla, maybe I've never had this vanilla bean. Maybe I just had the wrong kind of vanilla. Right. Like there, and you know, I'm using a silly example, but um, no, there's it. this, there's this sort of like going inward to question, like, do I like what I like? Do I dislike? Maybe I like what I, maybe, you know, I've been, you know, uh, <laughs> whatever, um, you know, maybe, maybe this flavor is not so bad. And I've just gotten a pattern of thinking that I like this and like, don't like that. Like, I, I find that um, the Venus retrogrades really uh, attempt to pull together um, sort of conflicting, uh, conflicting experiences of attraction and repulsion and joy and sadness. Be like, oh, this person makes me happy. This person sucks. So it's like, well, but actually, you know, like there's this person has some really good qualities, and maybe we just got off on the wrong foot. And this other person, you know, maybe they're not as good as I thought. But then back and forth and back and forth, um, you know, because it's a long retrograde, and you know, the process of that is usually like a real depth of emotional clarity about what you like and who you like and who you don't. But the process of arriving at that clarity is, you know, significant muddying of the waters and, and questioning. Um, somebody in the chat says, have I been wrong about olives the whole time? Right. Um, but like you know, that, you know, yeah, th like that, that that's in, and when things come up for question, like maybe I don't hate doing that, or maybe I, you know, maybe I don't, Maybe I, I I thought I liked this and I did once. Do I still like it? Like there's something about the like the form or the shape or the exteriorization of um you know of the Venusian desire for joy and pleasure and relationship and all of that mm. that like kind of crumbles away and we're, we're we end up like seeking what is the what is the more real what what is there a better shape or form for for this particular passion um, you know and sometimes you come out of it. Do, I'm totally sure that you want to keep doing exactly the same thing, but um, uh, certain at a deeper level because you took the time to evaluate it. Yeah, and sometimes you end up reaffirming things by the end of that process. Yeah, and it's it's not just it's not even though it's the same, it's not the same because you went all the way back to how should I say the, like the beginning and then worked your way towards and you're like, no, this is right, right? It's like, um, you know, uh, you know, it's like checking your homework uh for 40 months and be like no this really is right and i'm certain of that in a way i couldn't have been before this process you know if you look at it from a food point of view going back to your um vanilla yeah. and chocolate you know venus is all about what's sweet and it's all of our sweet foods and it's sugar in our diet as well i'm mm. sorry i'm always going to take it into health and it's a great time to reevaluate how you're doing um, what, you know, what sweets actually work for you, what don't, what foods you're in love with, what you're not. I actually find Venus retrograde really useful for people to reassess their diet, even though that's not that, you know, 
it's not a Virgo, you know, reevaluate, but it's still your flavors change. And sometimes it's great to find that new pattern of what is, what sweets are actually working. Not that I'm saying to go out and find sweets, but yeah, things will really change. Well, maybe what hits the sweet spot? Yeah. What, what pleasure foods are working for you and what aren't, and maybe it's time to change it up and evaluate the olives as someone was saying. I like that idea of of changing it up because Venus, one of the things we talked about astronomically is that when Venus stations retrograde, it's like it's on one side of the sun and it it um, appears on one side of the sun, but then by the end of the retrograde, it's switched and changed sides. And there's this real crossing over both in terms of the orientation to the sun astronomically, as well as whether it's north or south of the ecliptic. And sometimes you have a person sort of like changing sides and going from one thing to another. Um, But it reminds me also what you were saying, Austin, or what you're both saying basically is that um, the flip side of the coin about taste and something that you have a taste for is distaste. And they're sort of interlinked Mm. things of what a person has a taste for, a distaste for are like two sides to the same coin. And sometimes during Venus retrogrades, that, that idea of taste comes up very prominently, both in our personal lives as well as publicly. One of the topics we talked about in in and Patrick used an example of was like um, sometimes fashion trends changing during the course of a Venus retrograde, and especially old fashion trends from the past coming up again and being repopularized. So he used the example of like Ray Ban sunglasses being repopularized in the eighties after a Tom Cruise movie came out. Um, but I thought that was really interesting and insightful keyword to think about when visually or or um in terms of fashion something looks retro we are we already have that that phrase of something looks retro it looks older it looks from a past fashion trend from a bygone era and sometimes at first when old sort of retro things come back and and are repopularized again it kind of goes against the grain and seems distasteful initially but eventually when enough people start doing it it becomes kind of popular again and then the public taste for that um changes and is renewed or comes back again in some striking way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. So does this mean we're about to look at a lot of big hair with the Venus? Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. In, are in we Leo. are we finally going to get rid of the center part that women have been wearing for the last Lord knows how long? I know you guys probably aren't into that, but I'm really done with it. <laughs> I, I, I am not the authority on hair, I have to say. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, that could be one. Leo is definitely one of those signs that's associated with hair. So mm. hair-related fashion trends could be something to look out for. I'm ready for a change. Yep. Not me um, personally. I'm ready to visually see a change. But yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah that's that's a, I, would, I would imagine something. I would just imagine more colorful. Um, you know, during the during the pandemic and also just every time that we have Saturn in Capricorn Aquarius, um, much more like drab, um, mm. like gray, like grays and like grayscale stuff and like sort of dull earth toned and military um, st- looking, you know, sort of yep. tones um, become really popular. Um, yeah, I'm ready for that to be over. Yeah, and I can see uh, it, it's easy to and and our last Venus retrograde was in uh, a Saturn ruled sign. Whereas, mm. I, yeah, I could and also if you look at Saturn and Pisces um, with fashion trends, it's much more like flowing and colorful and um, et cetera, et cetera. And I could see the the Leo, um, yeah, the the Leo contributing brighter color to that. Yeah. 
the big flowy long skirts. Or, I know I'm talking to two guys about fashion, but the big flowy long skirts are making a rave comeback at the moment. I noticed it while I was out last night. Well, so Chris, this yeah, is bad what? news for us. Maybe the, the Venus in Capricorn cycle was peak uh, guys in black t-shirts yeah, and, now it's, and now it's over. No, if that goes out of style, I'm hanging it up. Um, yeah. Well, I would like people to pay attention to and let us know in the comments if they do see any fashion trends or especially old fashion trends that come up over the course of this summer and are brought back, or if you see any new fashion trends that seem particularly yeah. tied in with this this Venus retrograde, especially once Venus stations. Yeah. Um, well, we've got the big maxi dress, as someone said. That's what I saw last night. Big, flowy, gauzy colors and um, big bell bottoms. Big, wide pants are coming back in. If, if everybody's really comfy with their skinny stuff, the big, yeah, over the top, covering your whole foot thing is coming back in. I was in London two weeks ago and it was and the big, big, the puffies are getting even bigger. Oh, somebody was telling me that um, the like absurdly large, like skater jeans that I remember from yes. the 90s, like the yes. Jinko jeans were coming yep. back. Is, it, it, this, really? is, this is true. This is what I'm talking about. Oh, it, that's London hilarious. was like, I was like, no, I look terrible in these. Yeah. Hammer pants. Hammer like pants are very said. comfortable. They are comfy, but they're not sexy. <laughs> well, to some people, they must be parachute pants um all right well yeah and we're already in the venus retrograde shadow i wanted to show oh, yeah, yeah. it yeah. feels graphic like, yeah. yeah so the the pre-retrograde shadow began june 19th because that's when venus passed the degree that she will later retrograde back to and station at um but then venus is going to actually station retrograde around july 22nd it's going to be retrograde for about 40 days until September 3rd when it stations direct. And then eventually it won't get out of the post-retrograde shadow and leave all of the degrees that it retrograded at until October 7th of 2023. Wow. So this is our full time frame that we're working with. And especially if you have a personal planet within those degrees that Venus is going to go retrograde between 28 and 12 degrees of Leo or other especially fixed signs, that means you're going to get a triple Venus transit of Venus hitting the same point three times over the course of a few months. And that's part of why Venus retrogrades are so important because you take what is normally a very quick transit and you stretch it out um, over the course of, of a long span of time. Mm. Yeah, totally. Well, and so this one, particularly being in Leo, right? Bright colors um, is a thing, like if we're looking at appearance and fashion, like looks like brighter colors, I would say bolder styles. Um, but then, you know, the the sign that Venus is retrograding and also just, you know, tells us something about which issues will become important in relationship to other people and also in relationship to ourselves. You know, Venus is very often uh, depicted um, as having a mirror, right? And the, we have a Venusian relationship to ourselves, right? Do you like what you see when you look in the mirror, right? And the mirror on a physical level, but then we have like, you know, it's mirrors all the way down, right? Mm. Do we do we like do we like the person that we act like? Do we like how we acted in that situation? Do we like how we deal with whatever? Um, and that that's also that that's also a relationship, and it also is loaded with attraction and repulsion, right? Or taste and disgust, right? Like we were talking about. And mm. so, with it being in Leo, right, the the sun sign. I think that this one is going to have a, a lot to do um, with um, what's public and what's private, like what's expressed and then what's not expressed. Um, because we have 
you know, there are different portions of us that have very different, um, uh, 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 that are photosensitive to different degrees. Some parts of us need sunlight. They need to be seen in order to be healthy. And then other parts of us, um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the fungal, those of us who uh, are part fungi um, are killed by too much light. Right. And we, we all like every, you know, the different parts have different needs. And so things like, oh, I'm getting too much sunlight. I'm being too public about this, or I'm, I'm getting too much attention for this. But then this other thing, which actually thrives on sunlight, um, you know, is off in a shady corner and not getting anything. Um, and I think that sort of public, private, what do I show? What do I, what do I, you know, people say, oh, I, I need to be seen. Some parts of you need to be seen. Some parts of you actually need not to be seen. Um, you know, I know that I'm um, doing a very public podcast every month. I often have feelings of wanting to not be seen, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I have to get up in front of people. Um, and so, you know, like there, it's not that we need light or we need darkness. Different parts of us need X amount of light, right? Or X amount of darkness, like all plant life. Yeah, um, it's definitely Leo's the sign where the spotlight is kind of on you. And those themes of light, and also one of the keywords that was coming up was like loud. That Leo is kind of like a loud sign, um, both in terms of fashion, but also just in terms of public presence. And um, that may be being a major keyword to focus on with this Venus retrograde. I like oh, that idea. So mm. one one thing that I like that's just a public thing that I think is pretty in the Venus retro crosshairs. Is have either of you all heard the the sort of scandal about the show the the Idol? It's like an HBO Max show. Ooh, I don't know that one. Just so a little bit. What's interesting is that so it's uh, apparently the the pet project of the the weekend, the very famous recording artist, um, and apparently it was delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. So it's extra interesting that it comes out right as Venus is in Leo and getting ready to do Shadow and Station. Um, and it's uh, it's one, it's about a scandalous pop star doing scandalous things. And then uh, there's also a lot of scandal about the show itself where people are mad at uh, the weekend and the showmakers. It, like it's literally it's like scandal to the second power. It's literally public show about it's a scandal or it's a show about public scandal that has become a public scandal. Um, and it seems to be I, again, I don't follow the weekend very closely, but it seems to be. Um, a, a gigantic negative on his career. Oh. Um, people are like, oh, I loved him and now, you know, for a decade and now I don't ever want to listen to anything, you know, uh, any of his music ever again. But anyway, oh, it just wow. seems like a pretty Venus retro and Leo sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the Venus retro and that's part of it is um, sometimes something will happen in passing during the pre-retrograde shadow that should just be a passing like event or like singular thing that happens in your life. But then for some reason it, it gets drawn out or it comes back and ends up becoming more important. And you see it play out over the course of like a few months instead of just a very quick passing thing. Um, so I don't know how that lines up in his chart because he's definitely been getting just like pillared on social media over the past week or so, but yeah, it'll be well, interesting I mean, to see. I think, I think they're four episodes in, but it's, it's uh, HBO. Yep. So they're not doing, 
um they're not doing like they're not doing a whole season dump it's like game of thrones like it comes out once you know one a week so they'll definitely be coming out all through the lead up to um to the actual venus retrograde station that would be funny if the finale was on the venus retrograde station itself because it's definitely leading in that direction it's like his son is in late aquarius so it'll be very close to the venus retrograde station degree right so he's got yeah mars and venus opposing the sun well, and and I've seen that someone's talking uh, talking about Lily Rose Depp, who's um, famous for being the daughter of yeah um, famous actors. I can see that's been posted, and uh, there's been tons and tons of things on nepotism at the moment. I've I've found in I'm not that up on this one show because I don't have HBO, but um, I keep seeing all this really negative press coming out about all the nepo nepo babies. Like I've never even heard that term before the last year or two, but it seems to be if I've been scrolling TikTok or, or Snapchat, um, I've been seeing a lot of articles on nepo babies and how negative it is. And I'm wondering how much of a fall will go down with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this one just seems to have so much to do with like fame and like attention. Right. Um, you know, uh, yeah, attention and what people can see. You know, one of the things I've, I've heard said about the show is like, oh, I really like The Weeknd as a musical artist. I don't like watching him as an actor. He's actually mm -hmm. profoundly uncharismatic as an actor. And it ruined the, like the, the you know, the, the illusion or the fantasy that the songs created, right? Which is, you know, again, it's a vision thing, right? Like in the, in the sun's domain, we have like all of this stuff about what you can see, who can see what, et cetera, et cetera. And I actually had um, um, a, a micro revelation about this the other day when I was watching my cats, um, mm. right? So the we have a, a feline <clears throat> representative of the sun sign, right? It's Leo, it's the lion. And, you know, what do, what do cats do endlessly? Cats always want to be where they can see and can't be seen, right? We have two cats, so they're always rearranging each other. They're always rearranging themselves. So it's like, oh, I can see you, but you can't see me. Then the other one readjusts and there's constant readjustment. And that's how hunters, that's how cats as hunters work in the wild, the big ones too, right? It's where can I be that I can see, but you can't see me. And I was like, oh, okay. There's the visual dynamics for the sun sign, um, mm -hmm. you know, in kitty brain form. Mm -hmm. I think it's so, interesting how you were talking about someone saying they they like his music, but they don't want to see him. And that that really, to me, goes back to that um, Neptune and Pisces loving, you know, the music and loving how it made them feel. Yet then Saturn coming in the reality of not wanting to watch him like it's ruining their vision, the Saturn. Well, yeah, well, and, and like on a personal level, like what parts of yourself, like, do you lead with, right? Do you lead with your voice? Do you lead with your face? Like it's, mm. you know, like we're, um, how should we say, uh, like we're generally not equally good at appearing in all mediums. Um, like I'd much rather appear vocally than I would um, visually. Um, yeah. You know, I... I remember uh, I thought I um, I dragged my feet as much as humanly possible when Chris introduced um, the idea of cameras for the podcast. Video. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a good point, because maybe the theme then is sometimes is changing sides or sometimes when a person jumps from, attempts to make a leap from like in a let's say a career field from one 
area of a career or one type mm. of career to another, like in this instance, jumping from music to acting. And it's like, we see different people that are either successful or unsuccessful when attempting to make that sort of change or that sort of leap. And it's like, sometimes you do get those like amazing success stories, like, like Lady Gaga, for example, you know, as primarily amazing. A hugely successful, you know, musician and singer, but then also successfully makes the jump to also doing acting. And you have people that sometimes are able to pull that off successfully, but then other times you do get instances where that leap, there's an attempt to do something, but there's a, a failure or it just doesn't land quite as well as, as they had hoped. Yeah. So the one thing that, that brings up that's connected to that show is HBO like launched a new service where it's not HBO Max anymore. It's just Max, right? Like rebrand is also very Venus retrograde and Leo. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a terrible rebrand. It's like, no, HBO is like literally stood for high budget, excellent television for decades. We're like, oh, let's get rid of that. Let's not remind people of The Sopranos and Game of Thrones and, you know, a dozen other shows that are some of the best things ever made for TV. Let's not bring that up. Let's just call it Max. Right. Like that, I would say that that's maybe a pre Venus retrograde fumble, fumble yep. of a rebrand. Yeah. Well, and getting into some of the details of like the early days of the astrology of, of July, one of the things about this Venus retrograde, the very first part of it is some of the things that happen could be kind of disruptive or, or kind of unexpected in terms of some of the initial themes that Venus retrograde brings up in the first part of it. Because here on July 2nd, we can see Venus exactly squaring Uranus from 21 Leo to 21 uh, Taurus. And so we can see Venus as it's initially, you know, slowing down and getting ready to go retrograde, kind of stuck in between a rock and a hard place here with Mars on one side and Uranus on the other side. Um, versus we know that when Venus stations direct, it's going to be stationing direct square Jupiter, which is a bit more positive and supportive of an aspect. So there may be some unexpected um, things like that that come up in the initial phase of, of uh, these things coming up. So this also brings us to our first lunation of the month, which is a full moon in Capricorn on July 3rd. Um, how are you feeling about this lunation, Austin? Um, I would say I feel okay about it. I don't think it's spectacularly um, positive, um, nor do I particularly fear it. Um, you know, we, we've got like the moon is the moon is configured, you know, there's a there's a trine to Jupiter, but there's a sextile to Saturn. It's the moon in Capricorn. It's Saturn ruled like it seems thoroughly okay. Yeah, I really like that trine with Jupiter and the moon, which is so close around the time that the moon goes exact at 11 degrees of Capricorn to Jupiter at nine degrees of Taurus, which seems somewhat supportive and almost like uh, an odd counterbalance to the otherwise uh, kind of destabilizing Venus Uranus square that is still very close to exact at that time. That, and that's, the, a, that's a really good point. Like this, this moon may not be, um, how should we say, like a, a, a like a, a disco ball of incandescent joy, um, but it's very stabilizing, right? Trying to Jupiter and Taurus, like in an Earth sign, sextile to Saturn, like it's very, um, yeah, it's very. It, it might not be shiny, but it's it's stable, um, mm. which might not be appealing if Venus wasn't if that Venus Uranus wasn't so unstable. 
I yeah. like the idea that they're going to, that's going to counterbalance it, right? It's going to yeah. be practical and it's not going to be, mm -hmm. like you said, it's not flares and fireworks, but it's just, I think it adds some nice stability to what at that moment isn't an incredibly stable, otherwise lineup of planets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think I do like it now. I'm sold. Mm. Yeah. So that is not bad. That is our first lunation of the month right there. Um, and what are some keywords for Venus square Uranus that might be good to think about as we have that exact aspect going exact there on the um, 2nd of July, but still active there and kind of imprinting this lunation at the beginning of the month? I love someone said uncorked champagne. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so Uranus, Uranus, ugh. There's certainly the, a capacity to destabilize relationships. Uh, the positive angle is um, doing something totally different, getting mm. out of patterns that you're stuck in. Um, the square is not the easiest angle, and it's not. It, it doesn't. Um, it, it won't. As we say, it, it won't. I, I I think it's unlikely that it will hand people the most positive form out of the box. Um, one one piece of advice that I would give, because sometimes Uranus Venus makes you feel crazy, like you just oh, I, I don't know how to relate, like this is so charged, like I don't know how to handle this situation. Um, I think getting space is um, as close to a panacea as you can get for Venus Uranus stuff, right? Because maybe that like there's too much energy and it can't be resolved in the moment, but get a little space, like a little space can go a long way. Um, if you know, you, yeah, if the, the patterns of relationship are, uh, unpleasant or too mm. charged, too heated. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. What do you I would see, really, Kira? Well, on a health note, I would really look at with that Uranus, I would really look at what everyone's nervous system is doing. You know, I think mm. I see, you know, if we think of nervous system, we think mercury, but that higher octave, the messages being sent is very Uranian. And I think if, um, especially right after that full moon, you know, if we are like, as so many people are talking about how exhausted they are and how depleted and you just keep pushing through, it's not just going to deplete your adrenals. We forget the adrenals tax that, that nervous system. And I think this is a time, you know, and, you know, it being square Venus, that's uncomfortable. And it's, it's gonna, it's gonna itch and it's gonna aggravate the nervous system on a different level. So I would be mm -hmm. doing a lot of nourishment, be it through, you know, magnesium rich foods, or, you know, great herb teas to just calm that nervous system down, because I think this could get the word that just keeps coming up for me is itchy. Yeah, I no, I, I get that itchy. with, I, yeah. I get that, that physiological effect with Uranus stuff all the time. So yeah. what you're saying is go easy on the meth, uh, this full moon? <laughs> no, not so many stimulants. Yes. <laughs> Pull yeah. back on the ADHD meds and um, yeah. Yeah. Just soothe. We need some soothing going on so that this aggro, you know, yeah, it's going to make things happen, but it's also going to aggravate and, and we need to really nourish that nervous system. I'd like to second <clears throat> as a person with a, 12th house Gemini moon ruling the ascendant um, mm. with a often overcharged nervous system. Um, magnesium is a godsend. Oh my God. Um, yes. I just, I, I, I only discovered it like a year and a half ago and now no. I can't imagine life without it. No, 
No. And just, yes, someone said Epsom salts bath. Absolutely. Externally, it works quite well. Internally, it works even better. I just want to caution everybody if they're on medications, especially heart medications, blood pressure, you got to be really cautious with what form of magnesium you take and your magnesium rich foods would be, I I shouldn't say it, but dark chocolate, (laughs) Um, almonds, all your dark green leafy veggies are all really high in magnesium. But yeah, magnesium as a supplement would be the most common thing I hand out probably to nine out of every 10 people. We just need it by the bucket full. Yeah. Mm. I think that's good advice for this full moon because the full moon already has that kind of um, high energy. But then when you add a Venus, you're in a square on top of it, which has this kind of frenetic energy. Um, it seems yeah. like like emotion emotions would be running high and the energy would be running high in that few day period of essentially that weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that keeps popping up in my brain to say is Venus rules copper, which is antagonistic to zinc and zinc and magnesium work really well together. So you're really high zinc foods because if we over, if that nervous system just goes too crazy, it's also going to suppress or really push our immune systems. We'll get a little bit wobbly. So just with that, with the Venus retrograde, it keeps going in my head to what copper and zinc are like a seesaw to each other. So just, I'm not saying to go out and take zinc, but lots of zinc rich foods will also support that whole system happening. Did hmm. that make any sense? Did I connect that enough for everybody? <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. I only learned that a few months ago that if you take zinc supplements, you also need to take copper because zinc depletes copper. Yeah. They go kind of opposite each other and, um, yeah, you need to watch it. High copper is also not great. So yeah, you don't want to take zinc supplements all the time, but you don't. Yeah, you really want to watch zinc. A great way to watch for zinc deficiency is white spots on your fingernails. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you looking at your fingernails, Austin? Yeah. yeah. Not, so I don't think I've ever spots. seen a white spot on there, but I was oh, just really? checking. Okay. Yeah. Little white spots on the fingernails are zinc deficiency. Oh, I, have, I have strong, healthy nails. <laughs> that grow extremely fast. Yeah. Yeah. It just kept popping up every time we were talking about that Venus retrograde. I would just watch zinc to copper for everybody. That's really interesting. Mm. All right. So that is the first week is that lunation, the Venus Uranus square, um, because of course that's the first Venus Uranus square, but we're going to get more of those when Venus goes retrograde. So that's very characterizing. The initial phase of the Venus retrograde period is that square and the on the one hand, the excitement of that, because Venus Uranus hard aspects can actually be very exciting and very mm. liber- liberating, um, but sometimes it's it's a hard energy to like keep going permanently. It's something that burns up very, has a high burn rate and burns out very fast. But the yeah. initial initial wave of that can actually be kind of exciting. So um, that's the first week. And then one of our first major shifts that happens in the second week this month, and one of the more important ones, is that Mars uh, moves into the sign of Virgo July 10th. And this is a major shift, Mars departing from Leo and moving into Virgo, partially because it sets us up for one of our most important or, or most standout aspects this month which is going to be the Mars-Saturn opposition. So as soon as Mars moves into Virgo, that opposition really starts to begin to build up, and we're going to see that um, tension between those two planets start to increase all the way until we eventually get the exact aspect around July 20th or 21st. 
so there's that ingress right there on the 10th and yeah that's the start of a mars saturn opposition so on the one hand we go from again on the one hand this frenetic quality of venus square uranus and then all of a sudden we move into a much different energy in the second half of the month with mars starting to oppose saturn and the tension between the planet that symbolically is associated with things that are very hot very quick and very impetuous with saturn the planet that's symbolically associated with things that are cold reserved and slow and what happens when you um, put those two planets in a tense aspect where they're trying to draw or pull each other in different directions and the sort of internal tensions that sometimes come along with that so as a as a native who has an opposition between mars and saturn in pisces and virgo how do you how do you experience or describe that opposition austin um so okay so i mean so mars saturn opposite in general right like you you have you just have all of that all of that archetypal grind against each other hot and cold slow and fast um you know uh how should we say like uh, uh kinetic with mars and like and yet um uh needing to be careful and work within a form with saturn like there's there's a bring all of those are in play um i would say when those when you can reconcile those two or the reconciliation point is um you know it's sort of a like um, the energy is, uh, I would describe it as like grim competence or you just doing what needs to be done. And sure, there's mm -hmm. a lot to complain about, but complaining is just going to make it worse. Um, there's like an energy of um, persevering, um, an energy of like getting through it and getting it done, like getting it over whatever it is, right? Getting through this or getting it to the uh, to the finish line. You know, it's um I wrote an article a long time ago that had a word that I liked uh, for Mars Saturn. Um, 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 um the endurance is certainly yeah. a, a term, mm -hmm. but there, there's mm -hmm. another one that I'm looking for. Yeah, endurance, durability, um, persevering. Um, how should we say? Um there like there's there's an energy of like <clears throat> um how should we say imagining imagining what you're doing, like you are inevitable. Right. Like the, it's the energy of the villain in a lot of horror movies like Jason, like like, no, I can't die. I'm just going to keep coming back like I, I cannot be stopped. I can be relentless. Thank you, uh, Kimma. Yeah, I wrote a, a piece like 10 years ago called The Virtue of Relentlessness. Right. And relentlessness isn't about being fast. It's not about, um, <clears throat> you know, it's not about being flashy. It's not about it looking good. It's about just being relentless, mm. um, being fixed in your course. And again, you can be slowed, but you can't be stopped. Um, that being said, Mars Saturn, you got to be really careful um, pushing yourself too hard. It's um, it's a really easy. I mean, it's the if we're just looking at visible planets like that's the hurting yourself um uh, that's the hurting yourself uh configuration that's the like trying to lift a little extra weight and blowing out your knee that's you know 50 other ways to blow out your knee or hurt your back and again like the relentlessness is you're going to do it but you're not worried about the pace you're just always coming right um you know you're going to kill all of the teenagers at uh lake pleasant or whatever it is in the movie um but you're not you're not in a rush to do that right like yes you'll achieve the uh seemingly impossible goal but like 
um, you don't stop, but you also don't rush. And that that's, you know, as someone who has that natally, it's something I've found a lot of times. And then sometimes I'm really like, oh, where's that gear, right? I'm just slow and stopped and I can't get moving or I'm rushing, right? I'm going to have to go do things later or I'm going to, you know, uh, break things that are going to uh, then delay me because I have to repair them. Yeah, Ooh, I like all of that. Relentless. That's a really good keyword. Um, and also hitting the breaking point of something because there's always that tension between not knowing sometimes like when you've surpassed your limit and whether your limit is something that can be pushed and then your limits expand um, once you push through the the obstacle or the barrier or if sometimes you you push so far that it's like the metaphorical rubber band that eventually hits the breaking point and then just snaps unexpectedly yeah and i think um like as a rule of thumb with mars saturn um push 110 percent mentally push 80 percent mm. physically different rules right like the mind is much harder to snap than the body um, and maybe this is just, you know, me in middle age, um, but like you no. can, you'd be surprised at how far you can push yourself mentally in terms of like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to do this for another few hours, but like the mind adapts, but like the body adapts, but over a course of months, <laughs> right? Not, not over 11 days in July. Yeah. And being really paced with everything, right? Not mm -hmm. doing that, that, you know that Saturn is going to temper that Mars anyway. You're not going to have the energy to overdo it, hopefully, because that would be a really dangerous place to be. But it is a great time to be, you know, Mars going into Virgo. Sorry, I bring everything back to health. That's the only, that's my big filter. But it's a great time to do steady change, but not, not, you know, be cautious that that Uranian Venus energy isn't this massive overhaul that you can't hold because the Mars Saturn is going to stop you from doing that. But it's a great time to do that slow burn, steady, make those little adjustments that in the, in the end, all the little things will add up to something big and substantial. And I think that's a great way to look at how to temper that energy between mental and physical that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah that, maybe uh, system systematic is like a good Mars and Virgo keyword. Yeah, and and going at it really thoughtfully, you know, using that Virgo energy and really assessing what things are of value that you should make shifts on, and bring in that you know Virgo loves a good routine. It loves a good you know, health, health is the summation of a bunch of routine in the end. So making those, it's great time to, you know, add that Mars energy to start some stuff, but not overdoing it, not riding that Uranian. I'm going to overhaul everything at once. This is not an overhaul month. That would be dangerous. Yeah. yeah it's very like Mars Saturn is very like climbing a mountain energy. Like nobody, nobody just like wakes up and is feeling their oats and decides to climb Everest. Like you got to have a plan. Yep. And you got to acclimatize, right? Go a yep. bit, acclimatize, go a bit, acclimatize would be a great way to use the Mars Saturn together. For sure. Uh, as opposed to just like rushing up the mountain and then like yep. running out of ox oxygen and passing out. Yeah. Well, if you think about like, sorry, the Western States 100, which is on, which was a hundred mile run that happens in California, which is this massive endurance race. It's one of the hardest endurance races in the world. And what a lot of people don't realize about endurance races 
is you don't run up the mountains. You actually walk up the mountains and you run down the other side. And most people just think these people run the whole time and they don't. They're literally walking up the mountains. And I think that's a really good thing to remember in an endurance race. It's not about going fast. Hmm. Hmm. Um, one of the other keywords I know we talked about on the Pisces episode, Austin, was between the the Pisces Virgo axis is like small things versus mm -hmm. big things or like small picture versus big picture and also being able to tell like the forest from the trees um it seems like two of the dynamics that would come up in in the major focus this month with that tension between those two signs yeah yeah that that's cool I was actually just thinking about that about like the difference in scope between Pisces and Virgo Right. Like Pisces is like the, like in this case with Saturn and Pisces, like the, the goal or like the, the, the necessity is kind of big, right? It's like big and it's like, oh, I need a life change. I want to feel different. I want to look different or, you know, whatever. Like it, it, the, the, when it, Pisces things tend to come across like more mythic and amorphous, even when they have Saturnian weight. Um, whereas like the Mars and Virgo is like, okay, what is the one executable thing that I can do? each day to get closer to that like that dream of things being you know whatever the saturnian you know meeting that saturnian standard um but yeah like like you we were talking about like chunking it down into mm. discrete measurable tasks is the mars and virgo um excellence i love that mm. Yeah. And, and also keywords of like scope and also depth, like with Pisces, you know, we've been talking about like the ocean and just like the depth of the ocean and the depth of experience in the Pisces part of our chart and Saturn there and the fears sometimes of the unknown or the vastness of that versus um, Mars and Virgo and the need to focus on the details of what's right in front of you and to work slowly bit by bit through something rather than trying to take it all, all at once in its totality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the I think the Mars and Virgo helps, you know, it is going to be like that, but I think the Saturn in Pisces, it's tempering that over expansive Pisces as well. So I actually think it's a great time to really, I think the Saturn there helps that Mars in some ways, if that made any sense. I, I would I say it, it can. Yeah, it can. Not there, always. It's a lot not of people are also help. just going to get, you know, um, hurt by being ground between the two unyielding planets. Yeah. yeah. I was just yeah. trying to think of positive change. No, but like, like <laughs> this sure. is, this is one that if you approach it for what it is and try to, you know, try to try to make something good out of it, there's totally, there are the ingredients for something very helpful there, but mm. it, it won't be delivered to you as like perfectly measured pace discipline. Like you've no. got to do the alchemy. Um, yeah. The, the and it's two gonna... things. Yeah, sure. go sorry, ahead. go on. Sorry, sorry, go. Oh, I was just saying like the, the, the two substances that will be delivered to you are toxic by themselves, but they can be mixed in such a way that they can, uh, that they will make an excellent medicine. Um, mm. but you have to, you have to do the, the, the alchemy there. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. And, and also to your point, uh, Kira, one of the things I like about this is that even though we'll have the sort of rubber band at its extreme st stretching point moment here around July 20th with the Mars-Saturn opposition going exact, um, there's some relief and some counterbalance after that because as soon as Mars completes that opposition with Saturn, it starts moving into this nice supportive trine with Jupiter by the end of the month mm -hmm. um, so that 
even if people have reached their limits and discovered new limits or where their limits are um, by the, the mid part of the month, the third week of the month, by the end, we start to get some relief from mm. Mars, then hitting that trine with Jupiter at 13 Virgo to 13 Taurus by looks like July 31st and August 1st, or yeah, July, the very last day of July and the first day of August. Yeah. 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 It is and really it, nice. Go ahead. Uh, just very supportive on the physical level there with it being an earth and, and yeah, helping that energy that probably got overstretched. So I like that because the earth isn't going to try to run ahead with it and exhaust yourself. It's going to ground it and hopefully stabilize what you've been through. Well, and mm -hmm. if we're looking for like sort of, um, uh, uh, so with Mars Saturn, you get sort of an ordeal energy mm. and then, but you know, the, the point of a, a chosen ordeal, right. Is to, uh, become initiated in something or to become empowered. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the ordeal lasts a very long time and you wonder when, you know, when the particular uh, benefits will arrive. Um, but here with like Mars, Saturn, like ordeal, 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 like, you know, um, but then uh, like immediately after, as you're saying, Chris, we go right into Mars, Jupiter, which is very much like, oh, I'm already feeling stronger, right? Like mm. there's a, the, like the reward portion or the feeling, the benefits comes immediately after, um, which yeah. is, uh, a, I suppose, a, a benefit to having Saturn so early in the sign, right? If Saturn was at like 22 Pisces, then Mars would just be building towards that opposition for a solid month. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you don't, you don't always get that. Like sometimes you have a hard aspect oh. like that and you don't necessarily have that sort of like immediate, almost like cooling or stabilizing mm. relief afterwards. So it's kind of nice knowing, um, you know, if you are going through some tensions during that time, that there's a little bit of space for some relief afterwards. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, we've been talking about this in some, in certain contexts for some people, this will just be like, like it was so fucking crazy at work for two weeks. Right. Um, it'd be right. like just Mars Saturn time, um, where you just had to grind. Um, what's good is again, like the, 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 the configuration climaxes after like 10 days and then is immediately going into Mars Jupiter. And so it's not like a, a nightmarish month. It's just like a rough two weeks, right. Mm. Or it's not six weeks. It's just that two weeks. And then where, where Mars is going immediately after is, um, you know, positive. Mm. Results. triumphant uh, triumphant is very much like a mars i think it was a very mars jupiter feeling is like triumphant right like something has been done and it was great that it was done and i i, I have the feeling of the person who did that and you know ready to do more ready to be paraded through rome and anointed as a god for one day <laughs> is the original <laughs> triumph right yeah um so here's the archetypal explorer graph for this month just showing some of the aspects we're talking about and just the build up to the Mars Saturn opposition here around the 20th, which goes exact, but that there's kind of like a, a build up in a cool down phase um, on either side of that exact aspect. Um, and this is also bringing us kind of to our second lunation of the month, which is a new moon in the sign of cancer around the 17th. Um, and that's something we should talk about since that's happening in pretty close proximity to our exact Mars Saturn opposition. And um, what it also brings into the fold a little bit as well at the same time is this um, Sun-Pluto opposition that's building up at that point as well. And that's one of our closest aspects that that 
lunation has is a new moon at 24 Cancer opposite to Pluto at 29 degrees of Capricorn, uh, which is kind of reacquainting us uh, over the past few weeks with Pluto coming back into Capricorn and departing from, from Aquarius, where we got that initial preview of what that two-decade-long Pluto transit is going to be like. And now we're having some reflections um, again on the final phases of this almost, I guess, more than a decade-long, decade-and-a-half-long mm. Pluto transit through Capricorn. So um, Sun-Pluto opposition lunation at the same time as Mars uh, Saturn opposition. So that's bringing in some additional keywords. What are some keywords for like Sun opposite Pluto? Um, I guess there's things like like control and power and sometimes power struggles can be a topic for Pluto as well as just how one uses or wields power becoming more important than it usually is at other times in our life. I think it's going to be an interesting revisit with it having retrograded back into Capricorn. It's going to, I, I really see that last little tidy up, especially with that, you know, with that new moon, that la those last things on the home front that we need to get organized or get, I don't know. I, I, I see it as a real, yeah, it's adding to a bit of work. I actually see it, you know, kind of highlighting what needed to get finished, but in an, in that new moon way, you, that's not, you know, it's not the culmination. It's like, oh, there's more to be done and tidy up with that retrograde. Yeah, that's a good point that there's more work to be done and that you've got to go back to something to um, re-dive mm -hmm. back into the depths of something that isn't finished that you have to go back and and do one last dive into. Yeah, but almost, you know, with it being a new moon, it's like you have to start it, not that you have to start something again, but there's something else to be done that was different than what you thought was you were doing. I don't know. Yeah, like another mm. cycle of work. Yes. Yeah, that's how I, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, to me, like, that seems like, how do I, um, with the sun and moon conjoining and cancer opposite Pluto and Capricorn, the like, okay, like recentering on like, what do I need to be like, how should we say, feel safe from history <laughs> or like safe from like the, you know, Pluto and Capricorn has been very literal and very like historical, monetary, physical, like what, like what, what, what changes can I do or can I make to like insulate myself a little bit from the, um, the sort of, um, relentless um evolutionary like historical pressure of pluto and capricorn and you know there may not and some of the some of the answer to that may be well you can't do anything except with your mind um but your mind's relationship to things is very important um but there may be you know there may be other things like literal you know literal things around the home like how do i um you know how do i make my nest just that much more insulated from you know the world well, how do you protect yourself, right? How do you get that? Yeah. Art, you know, if you think of cancer in the shell, you know, soft on the inside, hard on the outside, you know, what more does you need to create to protect yourself? Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That protective function of cancer, um, especially just thinking literally. I mean, we talked about how literal the Pisces stuff was um, and sometimes how literal the Leo stuff was, sometimes very basic core archetypes or keywords like that for cancer here could be really relevant in terms of protection and the home and other things like that. Mm. One of the 
aspects I really like about this lunation is there is a pretty close sextile with Uranus at 22 degrees of Taurus to 24 degrees of Cancer. So there may be an out in some sense with that Sun-Pluto opposition and the tension that it's creating, mm -hmm. that there's an opportunity to seek some sort of innovative solution to some of those problems that's coming mm. from um, the Uranus aspect that may help us to sort of like think outside of the box in order to come up with things that could be helpful at that time to navigate not just the, the Sun-Pluto opposition, but also the Mars-Saturn opposition that's happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that comes to mind, which probably nobody wants to think about, is interest rates rising, people's homes, you know, what have people invested in, you know, who who's renting versus who's owning homes. I know in Australia, we're really looking at people stretched too far and with interest rates rise. And I really see that Pluto opposite to that sun moon, how to protect yourself moving forward when we're going to be a bit more, you know, it, there's a bit of instability in the economy looking and and how do you keep safe? How do you keep yourself safe in your physical home, whether you're renting or buying or, yeah, I don't know. I see a lot of that coming in at the moment, but again, yeah, that makes that a lot of sense. I mean, Pluto, Pluto's time in Capricorn has coincided basically perfectly with mm. unprecedented, historically low interest rates. Yeah. And grow, you know, the growth that's happened for some. Well, and also social disparities have grown like a lot more over the past decade. I think that at other times in the past century, and that's also been really prominent. And that's something now that I think about it, that's come up as a topic over the past month that's been in, in discussion again with Pluto returning back to Capricorn has sort mm. of put some of the focus on that again, like even yep. with, you know, this the submarine thing and the disparity between well, on the one hand, you know, this um this boat in the Mediterranean capsizing with over 300 people dying but then the media and everybody being focused on like these billionaires that are that you know died in an experimental like submarine for the over the course of a week and maybe that's part of what this is re-emphasizing as well as just some of those major disparities yeah well and we know i was talking to my husband about the stats the other day of um you know that 1% of the population holding something, I think in the US, 1% of the population holds something like 85 and it's moving towards 90% of the wealth. I, I, I probably have those all of stats that, wrong. Yeah, almost all of that is um, a tenth of the top 1%. Yes. Mm. The actual yeah. it's the yeah, it's the the the, the, the tenth yeah. of one percent actually has I mean like the one percent includes that, but the yeah. stat gets wilder when you cut yeah. that down by 10 again. Yeah. And just you know, looking at that Cancerian new moon where we need to, you know, I, I just always think of the crab carrying its little home on its back and and you know, how are we all gonna stay safe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, these Plutonian pressures, like, you know, these are like gigantic historical things. And, you know, you can, you can adapt, like you can't <laughs> change the class structure, yeah. uh, you know, of a nation, um, you know, with a new moon meditation. Um, but know. you can think about how to at least be less vulnerable. Right. Yeah. And especially if you realize like, oh, I kind of left my my arm hanging out and vulnerable. Mm. there's a piece of what I'm doing that's actually super vulnerable to this. I can at least pull that back into the shell or make what pivots you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's hard to negotiate with Pluto, right? Because it's almost always, um, especially in the context that we're talking about, it's always like 
forces that are titanic and vastly beyond your control like you can't stop the glacier but if the glacier is coming you can make it you can make different decisions about where you'll be yeah exactly and i just think again i wasn't by any means saying a new moon meditation but just that re no, no, just, that reconfigure i know you weren't saying that but it was like just that reassessment of how to be a little bit safer because yeah. a lot of people have had pretty crazy spending you know since especially since covid and, and we were all in home and what was going to make home feel good and and some of the habits we've got on aren't going to serve us moving forward For sure. So, um, so that is our second lunation of the month and the new moon. And, you know, that the focus is really put on that even more just because it's so weird that around the same time that the Mars Saturn opposition is going exact on the 20th, that we see the sun hit 27 and 28 degrees of Capricorn and then really completing that opposition with Pluto within a day after. Um, the Mars Saturn opposition goes exact. So those are yeah, really it's a, it's a rough couple of days. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think they will be high vibe. And then you got the nodes in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. The node, oh, yeah, yeah, the nodes changing sign. Squaring the nodes. So the nodes are at change signs and, and are at 29 degrees, at least the true node is of 29 Aries for the north node mm. and 29 Libra for the, the south node. So the sun is at the bendings, like right at that exact moment. Yeah. I'll stay home that day. <laughs> so, and then that's also, of course, the same time frame when Venus also stations retrograde at the same time. So this is going to be a really important turning point and like a pivotal moment for some people, especially, especially if, you know, Venus is stationing retrograde in an important part of your chart, like an angular house, or if you're in a Venus perfection year. Um, I forgot to mention that I actually did a, I, I made, I worked with somebody to make a Venus retrograde worksheet. And I'll put a link to that um, in the description for this podcast episode, but it's a retrograde worksheet that you can use in order to go back and study your chronology and look at past Venus retrogrades and just write down some notes of what they coincided with in your life, um, especially focusing on this cycle of this Venus retrograde in Leo um, that happens about every eight years, just by going back in eight, eight year increments to first 2015 and then going back. Um, to the one before that, which would be 2007, then 1999, and so on and so forth, and just starting to see some of the patterns and asking yourself the question of like, what house is Venus going retrograde in? What planets or angles is it aspecting in my chart? And then sometimes that can give you a great preview of what's coming up. Yeah, and um, uh, similarly useful, you might find out that the Venus retrograde in Leo just isn't that big a deal for you. So you don't need to fret about it. You might be like, right. oh, it's the Scorpio Libra one that actually gets me every time. Like knowing which ones your life responds to can save you like unnecessary, you know, worry. Mm. Well, and also sometimes it's not bad. Sometimes it's just reconnecting with something from the past. Yeah. Um, so I had one like in 2020 where it went retrograde on my IC and I like reconnected with some family and like, you know, learn some stuff about my family background and stuff that was was interesting and was fine. And it was just about going back in the past and reconnecting with, uh, with you know, those types of people with family or in other instances, you know, people get back together or reconnect with an old friend that they lost touch with or something simple and straightforward like that that fits the symbolism. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it can be nice. Sometimes it's like, oh, that was a little weird. Other times it's like, oh, that was a storm. But knowing, you know, knowing which ones are which will mm. um, allow you to either gird your loins appropriately um, or um, relax and just know that this one isn't a big deal for you or yeah. whatever, you know, whatever in between. I found it really interesting to look at the houses that were, you know, when it retrograded, which house it was that was the bigger. I find that's often been a bigger trigger for me when it, when it's bigger issues to do with the retrograde, even than the sign. But, you know, you can't separate it, can you? Yeah. Just no, where no, it's for happening sure. for life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like what house it's happening in and sometimes the topics of that house coming more to the forefront in your life at that time. Mm. Yeah. For sure. Um, I know there's also there's some discussion on Twitter. For example, Joe Joe on Twitter was talking about like you know if it, if you have Leo rising and you're um, the the question that's debated sometimes about like doing a, a makeover during like a Venus retrograde or changing something stylistically. And sometimes astrologers advise against that, and other times astrologers say it's okay because it actually fits the symbolism. Mm. Uh, where do you guys fall when it comes to that? I'm sorry. What is the question again? Um, are you do, should you do a rebrand during the Venus retrograde? A stylistic rebrand, rebrand makeover changes to one's appearance uh, or other things like that. It seems like sometimes that's a little rockier, and other times it's something that fits perfectly with the symbolism, and that's just like the window when somebody does that. Um, but I, whether I, there's any. Okay. Yeah. I do have a strong opinion. I would say experiment while Venus is retrograde, then, you know, uh, pick something once Venus stations direct. Yeah. Right. Don't... Like, don't do anything that's like permanent during the retrograde, yeah. like experiment by all means, like do things that might look terrible, but maybe it's amazing. But, um, you know, and, and I would say the same thing generally with like new relationships during Venus retrograde, you don't have to avoid everybody, but like be experimental. Don't lock it in gather yeah. the gather the data and then once it's stationed direct hey guess what it's venus station direct in leo that's probably a great time to unveil your new style or to like pick you know to gather the the intel from your experiments and you know figure out what that means yeah i love For it sure. someone someone wrote no tattoos yeah nothing permanent i'm totally there with you play around with it but don't make yeah don't don't finalize anything till it it goes forward. I'd be nervous, but yeah, it, people, I think definitely start thinking about making bigger changes to their appearance during that time. And you maybe get the great innovative ideas, but yeah, it's not always gonna, it's not always gonna look like you think. Mm. It seems like, especially with this one, um, with those difficult oppositions happening, right. As Venus is stationing retrograde that the, the potential for, um, tricky things to come up in the first part of the Venus retrograde is really heightened with this one where it could be more problematic if you start something major around that time that you can't take back or that could be problematic that it's more likely to run into issues at the beginning of the retrograde versus um, if we fast forward you know 40 days to the end of it, we see Venus eventually slowing down and stationing direct here about 12 Leo in early September where it has this nice square with Jupiter at around mm. 15 Taurus, which is also stationing at the same time. So we get this like stationing of both of the benefics at the same time to mark the end of the Venus retrograde in early September. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. even um, even just the second half of the retrograde, um, which would be like I think the Kazemi is August twelfth or thirteenth, is much easier than the first half. This one is very, as we've been saying, this one's very front loaded with like Sturm and Drong and drama um, and scandal. Um, like the second half, even while it's retrograde, just isn't isn't near, mm. <laughs> isn't nearly as um, like charged up and freaked out. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I do. I sometimes do surgery charts for people, and it's interesting that um, even you know we ha- we haven't hit the retrograde yet, but how many um, you know surgery charts for plastic surgery have been coming through? Ooh, yeah. that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I, I see it a lot. I see it a lot with strong. I would say one out of every two charts that hits me up even for surgery is, is a plastic surgery chart. Cause those are the elective surgeries, right? It's not emergency surgery. It, but it's yeah. electable surgery. It is definitely electable. And, um, but yeah, I've definitely seen an uptake of, you know, not, Oh, I need to have a hip replacement. It's all about, I'm having my nose redone. I'm having my eyes lifted. I'm having a full face, full face lift, you know, find me some dates. And um, yeah, you definitely have seen a lot of that coming. I've seen hmm. a lot more of it. Yeah. I was thinking about that recently of um, the issues, because I was talking to somebody about that, about um, Leo and the idea of like aging and, and of all the signs. That's one Leo maybe oh, yeah. is one of, one of the ones that struggles with the most. And I thought that was really interesting as part of the motivation behind like um, elective, like plastic surgery or something like that, like the notion of time and trying to halt or like slow down the effects of time or other things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I do, I see a lot of it based around um, Leo energetics in people's charts and then Venus hitting Leo. It's always on the forefront. It's funny because I've even noticed visually, um, I'm noticing people's faces more in the buildup to this. Just last night I was out with my family and I was in an area where people are very done up. And um, I was just noticing how many fillers and Botox and, and all of that's been going so, on. It's just more visible so, to me. So at the yeah, moment. Speaking of seeing that. Um, so I didn't, I used to live in blissful ignorance. Um, but Kate, uh, with the Venus and Virgo and mutual reception yeah. with the, the Mercury in, um, in Libra has like a perfect eye, not only for photography and another number of other oh. things, but she can pick out like work, even well done work from oh, you know, yeah. 100 yards away. And she, and she's just pointed things out. So now when I watch television, I can, t- I can see all of the procedures and I just yep. want to go back. I would like the, just wrap me in the blanket of illusion. It's television. I, oh, I don't yeah. need to, I don't need to, I don't need to know about, you know, the, the chin tuck and the whatever yep. the brow raise and all that shit. I would have fun sitting in a hotel bar with Kate. Cause I love, to, I love <laughs> noticing would. that as well. Not to have a go at it. I'm just fascinated by the detail of what people choose to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, those might be really interesting keywords and ones to keep in mind that might be relevant archetypally that we might expect to come up this summer. Um, you know, Leo is a very like youthful sign, even in old mm-hmm. old age, there's a feeling of youthfulness to Leo that that sort of maintains um, as well as a desire to like maintain youth, youthfulness as a keyword. Um, but also one of the things that comes up that brings to mind with Venus and Leo or Venus going retrograde in Leo is issues of um, I don't like like vanity, but also there's a there's a better term for that that because that has like negative or um, almost like judgmental cor- connotations. But what's like a related it's a sin, sentiment? Chris. 
Right, vanity is a sin. Okay. Well, what's the <laughs> what's the like less sinful like word for the the adjacent like concept of of vanity or uh, the the softer version of that? Yeah, well, it's about feeling good about yourself and your radiance and your vitality. You know, if you think about Leo, it is such a vital sign. So for a Leo energy, no matter the planet, not just the sun, but for them not to feel vital is really sad. And um, as much as I'm making jokes about things like this, there's a lot of connection between how people look and how they feel about themselves and that self-confidence and and. You know, there's, I was even reading research the other day. Sorry, I don't know why I'm taking it all back to procedures here, but they were looking at Botox on people's foreheads because um, originally that was invented so people don't sweat, right? For people that had hyperhidrosis. Hmm. And um, so you can, you know, Botox under your arms if you sweat too much and things like that. But they were looking at the research that the inability to frown when you Botox your forehead actually increase helps your mood it's it's mood elevating for people and um it, there's a whole other thing going on there for people it's not you know yeah self-esteem yeah, yeah. Self feeling good about yourself is, that's it i mean who, who doesn't want to feel good who doesn't want to feel good about themselves yeah internally that and a, externally that that's such an important and core human trait that everybody needs and that it's like a vital part of like being a human is like having at least mm -hmm. some level of self-confidence or feeling good about yourself and sometimes doing things which enhance that or things which you can do to enhance that, which means different things for different people, um, you know, is a good thing because it's self-affirming and, and mm. helps to, to affirm a person. So maybe that can be a major keyword here is, is figuring out those self-affirming things that one can do. Um, which may be appearance-based, but there may also be a number, a range of different ways that one could do self-affirming things. Yeah, or yeah, I mean, I think yeah, the with the Venus retrograde in Leo, the um, like that idea of yeah, feeling good about who you are, right? Or which is you know we call it self-esteem. How do you esteem yourself? But then that's also linked to your self-image, right? Sometimes or very often. Um, we might not like something about how we see ourselves, but we're not actually seeing ourselves very accurately. And that's not mm -hmm. actually a problem we need to feel bad about, or, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, you know, like I, I would say that, you know, Venus, a, a Venus retrograde, because it's spending so much time in that territory and doing the reunion with the sun is seeking the truth about something. Right. And like to really feel good about yourself. Sometimes the, it's not trying to, say no i'm good it's looking at what is this whole image or concept of yourself like maybe the concept is off and that's why the that's why the the attempts at self-love aren't sticking right mm -hmm. like the like because we we can uh, have a self-image that um is only tangentially related to who we are and what we do right and like getting that to match right and of course what that takes what that requires um and this is a very i think of this is a very leo thing like a, a like sort of virtue that can be aspired to in Leo land um, is self-knowledge, right? Like that's a solar virtue um, and that, you know, attempts at self-esteem, attempts at feeling good about yourself will fail to the degree that you don't have knowledge of who you are. Hmm. Yeah. And that anyway, and then like it, the, I think feel like with the, 
again with the retrograde like we want a like a deeper thing that'll really stick and that's got to be self-knowledge i think which yeah. is you know not easy uh which is worth its weight it's certainly worth more than its weight in gold because it doesn't weigh anything um but you know as valuable as gold um and probably more difficult to mine right like self-knowledge is desirable but um tricky right because how do you how do you be how do you get real self-knowledge for the other i mean that's actually i think is going to be the thing so i like there's to cure it's self-love and self-knowledge mm-hmm. and with this retrograde station of venus um opening with two like major oppositions of not just mars and saturn but also um the sun and pluto oppositions often ma- manifest through other people in our life mm-hmm. and sometimes coming into uh, cross purposes or or conflict with somebody else who who shows us or tells us something about ourselves that maybe we didn't see previously or didn't like and maybe that is the opening for that then 40 days and 40 nights of self-introspection and going within oneself in the same way that venus is going to disappear and and go under the beams of the sun and then conjoin with it through that very like internal process of the retrograde conjunction and then eventually emerge from under the beams of the sun when it stations direct in a much different condition and a different idea of like who we are and what we're about and how we're um, presenting ourselves to the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love, you know, health and, you know, what we're thinking about ourselves, but health overall is that combination of physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. It's all mm-hmm. those levels, right? Yeah, for sure. And and for some people, like one of those might be more prominent than the other, just based on what house like Venus is transiting. Like maybe mm. if it's going through your first house, maybe it is more about self or or appearance or body. If it's going through your tenth house, maybe it's more about your career. If it's going through your ninth house, maybe it is more going to manifest in the spiritual realm of your beliefs or your politics or something like that. Yeah, I mean in. In natural medicine, we have that belief that no matter what level you're working on it on, you know, if you're working hard in that one area, the other areas will hopefully join and rise with it. So I also think there's no shame or no, you know, we get so Mm. hassled for, oh, you're just working on, I'm not, I'm not saying everyone go out and get Botox. That's not thing here, but being, being happy to work on your physical isn't, we shouldn't be ashamed to do that. It's, you know, it's your physical health is as important as your mental and emotional and spiritual health. And all of us are better at working on certain areas than others. And I think, I think, yeah, I think we need to remember all areas need that love and attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like to use the word shame because I think pride and shame are another huge, mm. like very activated duality for the this Venus and Leo cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's horrible. Shame is a horrible sensation, right? And yet there's so much of it that can occur with this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because really I think maybe we all need to be listening to reading more Brene Brown next month. Um, because underneath that, those themes of pride and shame is the um desire to be authentic. And that's really a really good mm. keyword for Leo as well, is, mm-hmm. is finding your authentic self and being able to express your authentic self or express yourself in a way that's authentic. Um, and whether you're doing that successfully or not, or whether that's something that's stopping you from being authentic. And if you don't need some sort of makeover or some sort of um 
reassessment and realignment of of your life in some notable way in order to express your yourself in a way that's more authentic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that creative yeah, authenticity. Is, yep. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, you go. Okay. okay. I was just saying, yeah, authenticity is a good concept because it link it has to be rooted in self-knowledge, but then it also suggests a manner of expression, right? And even if we're looking at uh, you know, quote unquote superficial things, like the way you dress um is creating a framework by which which uh which you're inviting people to interpret you in mm. a certain way. And we can, you know, we can present ourselves like physically, visually in a way that like is in alignment with, you know, with the authentic, uh, the authenticity we're trying to express, or we can be using an aesthetic that clashes with the authenticity Mm. we'd like people to see. And so, yeah, like authenticity aligns with both the like super invisible self-knowledge part, but also the extremely visible, um, you know, fashion part or self, self uh, arrangement. Yeah. Well, and it's part of your creativity, isn't it? How you dress and how you show, you know, your, that creative spark comes into play here, doesn't it? I find it really interesting. And I don't know if I'm taking this off topic, hopefully not, but I love looking at the way people dress because there's this whole theory that we, we dress for our best year the year in our most recent history where we had just this great year, whatever style we were doing when that happened, we often stick with that for a really long time until we have this other kind of apex year where we might, something big happens and then we change. Maybe this is going back to the other transits we were talking about, but I'm always fascinated. Has any, have you, I mean, Maybe it's a bit of a girl thing for me to be talking about that. But yeah, I love looking at people and going, oh, that was the fashion they're dressing. That's their peak year until they have another peak year. It's a, and maybe that's a Venus cycle. Maybe I just haven't realized it for maybe it's people's Venus return or um, when they, well, or the retrograde eight cycle we were talking about. I don't know. Have a look at what you're wearing. Is that too? uh, No, that's brilliant. Superficial. Maybe it was like, that Venus retrograde, like, you know, seven years ago or 10 years ago when Venus went retrograde in your first house and that person had that makeover, they had that yeah. revolution in terms of how they presented themselves. And that for some people, maybe that's spaced out more or or stays in place, sometimes, especially like the older you get um, yeah. versus it sometimes coming back and, and going through that kind of change again. Yeah, well, it's, it's like people doing the haircut after they have a, a breakup. You know, women are more women. Um, it's talked about. You know, they go and they do this drastic hair change when they have a breakup because they're now entering this new phase. And I and that happens a lot with clothing as well, not with breakups, but with peak years. I find that's really interesting. Um, I've dressed the same my entire adult life, but um, <laughs> I'm also vaguely aware of other people who don't do that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And maybe you do it in a littler way, like and you've gone from like Converse to Vans or, you know, you, ch- you know, oh, you're now doing, you know, Doc Martens or I don't know what kind of shoes you wear, but um, you know, you, everybody probably does it on different scales. Some people it's the whole wardrobe, some people it's hairstyle, some people it would just be shoes or you get yourself a new backpack or whatever it is you carry your computer around in. But there's, these shift with apex years that I've really noticed in people, but I have never really looked at what the astro cycle is to that, but probably Venus. Yeah. It'd be really interesting. 
Mm. Well, and I love that there's like individual versions of that in each person's life, like no matter who you are. Um, but then also sometimes there's broader like societal versions of that that we talked about at the beginning, which is the role that's sometimes overvalued in trends and tastes that change. Um, mm. Like I was, I was watching this animation recently that showed um, in the United States, like state by state, um, the most popular baby girls' names in each year, mm. like starting in 1950 and then going through to the present and how sometimes in certain years you would see this shift where something would happen and all of a sudden like everybody's naming their baby girl like Emma or yeah. you know Kath Catherine in the 1980s or other things like that. And sometimes it it's a result of um things like trends that are happening in terms of um media and like books or movies or things movie like stars. that. Yeah, movie stars or even like television shows. Like there was a lot of like Daenerys's like 10 years ago when Game of Thrones was popular and different things like that. Oh yeah, huge. I um I have a daughter and um her name is Sierra, but the year she was born, Sienna with the N was like on the top three names. And that was the year of Sienna Miller's like apex in um movies and things like mm. that. It it was interesting to watch. I remember being in hospital and there were eight babies on the ward, one Sierra and three Siennas. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it just goes the point is that like each of us is embedded in a much larger social context of like trends and tastes that are constantly shifting and changing that we sometimes don't perceive, but um, can sometimes be much more important when we're like swept mm. up in them than we, than we realize. And that'll be an interesting thing to pay attention to and just look out for this summer. Yeah. And with Neptune in Pisces at the same time, right? That collective, we're all in that same thing. Yeah. So, all right. So as we get into later in the month, we start getting some shifts and the, I feel like the ten, the tension starts getting ratcheted down, especially once the sun um, changes signs and moves into Leo and starts moving out of that opposition with Pluto on July 23rd. And then eventually we get Mercury conjoins with Venus on July 27th. Mercury-Venus conjunction, and then right after that, Mercury changes signs and moves into Virgo, um, which is another major ingress or change later in the month. And then, as I said earlier, we eventually get that Mars-Jupiter trine, which goes exact on the 31st of July or the 1st of August. Um, so we start really moving out of that Mars-Saturn opposition towards the end of the month. And that actually also brings up the auspicious election that I wanted to highlight for this month, where we had a couple of different options. There are some good charts earlier in the month, but the one I wanted to highlight is towards the very end of the month, once we get start getting past that Mars-Saturn opposition. So the best electional chart I could find is set for July 30th, 2023, around 6.35 in the morning with Leo rising just after sunrise. So if you cast a chart for this time locally in whatever your city is, adjust the ascendant until the ascendant is around 13 degrees of Leo. And what you'll end up with is a day chart just after sunrise with Leo rising and the sun in Leo in the first whole sign house. Um, so the sun is applying to a square with Jupiter, which is up there at 13 degrees of Taurus in the 10th whole sign house in a day chart. So that this is actually a pretty good chart for career matters with that 10th house Jupiter. Um, we see the moon over there in Capricorn, and it's applying to a trine with Jupiter, uh, which is another really positive sort of affirming aspect that you get this applying trine all day. 
Um, Mercury has moved into Virgo, where it's in its own sign. I did try to place the degree of the midheaven, if you can, in your location around three degrees of Taurus. That way, it's trining uh, the moon and mitigating it from its sixth house position, and also trining Mercury and mitigating it from its uh, second house position. Um, we also find that Venus retrograde in the sign of Leo in the first house is a benefic, and although Venus is retrograde and it's going to put some of those retrograde energies at the forefront in this election, um, it's otherwise a relatively positive sort of general standalone chart for most types of things and starting most types of things around this date, especially in the later part of the month once the Mars-Saturn opposition is separating. So that is our electional chart for the most auspicious date we can find this month. Um, Lisa and I also found, I think, five or six other electional charts, which we shared as part of the Auspicious Elections podcast, which is available um, to members of our page on Patreon. And you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash elections. All right. So I think that's bringing us to the end of the month. Are there any other major things that we really wanted to touch base on here? Um, at the end of July, I guess we just have that that Mars Jupiter trine, which is one of the last yeah. major major aspects of the month. Yeah, I, I would just add that with Mercury going into Virgo, it's a good place for Mercury, but Mercury's got a lot to do. There's a lot going on in that early um, uh, that early mutable area. Like Mercury's opposed Saturn and is co-present with Mars. And so like, yes, it's useful to have Mercury in to help fix the problems and, you know, um, tinker with things, but like, there are a lot of problems to solve there, right? Like you've got both malefics there. Like it's, you know, the, like they, it doesn't get easy. Like the, I think Mer Mercury there makes some things more soluble, right? It might bring some like, okay, we can, we can do it this way. Um, but it's not, um, Mercury getting into Virgo is not, um, I, I don't think the experience will be ease. Does that no, make it, sense? It just, yeah, makes a lot of sense. It might just be you have better ideas of how to deal with the Mars Saturn you've been going at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, like the Mars Jupiter is good, but you know, it's like still Mercury with, you know, with one malefic and opposite the other. There's still a lot of pressure. Mm. Oh, Chris, you are muted. Oh, Chris, you're muted. Oh, thanks. Sorry, I have a I trash, trash truck that's like picking up trash right now. So I was just saying that Mercury is going to go retrograde later in August in Virgo. So it's going to spend Ooh. a lot of time there. And it's going to mean that we're going to have a lot of time to think about that Mercury transit, especially the opposition with Saturn that it completes right away on August 1st. Um, and yeah, just reactivating some of those things that we already experienced with the Mars-Saturn opposition. I forgot about that retrograde coming up. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's um, it's a pretty challenging month as far as they go this year. There's a lot July. to handle. Yeah, July. Yeah, yeah, that was. It's definitely not a like. Um, well, this you know, it's not mellow, right? It's not. Uh, it's not like impossible uh, you know or catastrophic but like there's a lot to handle mm. um there you know there are like just the mars saturn would be a thing to handle and then that um that happening just as the as venus like finally like 
um, um, I was going to say pops, um, because a lot of times, like as we lead up to the retrograde station, there's a feeling of increasing pressure. And then the retrograde station, even though it's not necessarily a, a point of celebration, it does like relieve the tensions. Like, okay, things are finally moving backwards. But like just the Venus would be a thing to handle and the Mars Saturn would be a thing to handle. And it's, you know, it's, there's, it's, it's a lot on the plate. Um, you know, there are two good helpings of things that are going to need some, some thinking and adapting to handle all uh, this month. The visual I get is it's a good month to keep your seatbelt on. Like, yeah. don't, don't undo the seatbelt. And if you go bike riding, make sure you wear a helmet. Yeah. You don't have to avoid using the car entirely, but yeah, no. buckle make up sure the for safety's on. sake. Yeah. And maybe a, maybe a helmet if you go for a bike ride. Yeah, I think that's really good um, advice. And yeah, while it will be one of the more tense sort of months of this year, especially around the middle of the month when all that's happening, um, then we'll we'll transition after that and hopefully get some relief and some clarification um, on some of those issues as we continue through the rest of the Venus retrograde. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the forecast this month. Um, thank you both for joining me today. This is amazing. Thanks, Kira, for for joining us for your first time joining us on the forecast. Um, this is a lot of fun. Um, where can people find out more information about you or, or yeah. your work? Awesome. Thanks for having me. I was a little bit, I was last night, I was going to sleep. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if I'm not very good at this, at the um, <laughs> forecast versus the podcast? No, um, so thank you for having me and letting me bring in all my crazy simple health stuff um where you can find me i am social media as well as website is astrology of health or astrologyofhealth.com so um i'm very active um more on instagram than i am on twitter i actually am not a, i i also have a science side so i leave twitter to my my um professors in sports science and i don't do a lot of astro twitter so come find me on instagram or on my um yeah on my website awesome cool and i'll put a link to your website in the description below this video or on the podcast website um austin what do you have going on well um actually while we were recording um sphere and sundry released a new asclepius series i believe that's to members only but it goes public tomorrow so by the time this is up um, there's a new Asclepius series drawing on the power of the star Russell Hogg, which is the star of Asclepius, um, as well as uh, sort of connecting that to uh, the uh, the Nakshatra Ashvini, where a pair of handsome doctors are said to dwell. Um, and accidentally in that election, Kiran is also in the first house. So literally ev almost everything um, medical in the sky both uh, like two a uh, star a nakshatra and uh, a planet and, and a minor planet all of all of them associated with healing uh that's that was the thinking behind that election so that stuff is available tomorrow to the public so on the 27th um and then as we talked about earlier the theme mundi um nuclear astro magic sauce is uh still available for pre-order as for me um I will be taking in um, a new round of students in September. If you want to be part of that, you have to sign up um, for the um, for the wait list. Um, I'm not. I'm 
I haven't been doing it publicly because the wait list is long enough. So please just go to the website, austincopic.com, and you'll find the wait list uh, for classes if you're interested in that. And I'm not sure if I'll do it this month, but before too well for long, I'm going to put up some some of the some of the lectures and workshops uh, I've given over the last couple of years. I've got a huge backlog. Uh, I put up a bunch of stuff in March, and I'm probably going to put up another bunch of stuff either end of this month or next month. I've got all the the eight hours of stuff I did at Norwalk this year. Got some stuff from Astromagia last year, et cetera, et cetera. So keep an eye out for that. Awesome. I'm excited. Cool. I'm hanging up to go order my Asclepius as soon as this is over. I did awesome. notice it was going live while we were on. I'm like, oh, how am I going to order? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we need to start separating those electional times so we don't miss those while we're recording these podcast episodes for well, the, 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 Sundry. The problem is that we're electing the podcast and we do our best right. to elect the releases and we're you know picking the, um, picking there's the like, best electional time. There could be meaningful difference of opinion on elections, but it's it's a it's a small range, right? Yeah, for sure. Um that's always funny when different astrology you see like 10 different astrologers dropping stuff on the same day and you know that there's a good election going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So as for myself, um, I have that Venus retrograde worksheet and I want to give a shout out to Randy on Instagram at wish thinker design, who helped me to design that. Um, I want to create more worksheets like that, but it's really useful. And I want to shout out them for, uh, helping me to make that yesterday. And I'll put a link to that in the description below this video, um, on YouTube or on the podcast website. I also wanted to mention on Patreon, I'm starting to do a new thing where one of the bonuses to patrons is to upload my show notes, uh, which I just did for the Venus retrograde episode, where it outlines kind of in a PDF that's several pages long, like all of the different things we put together to prepare for the episode so that you have kind of a concise overview of, of most of the main points that were mentioned. So with that episode in particular, there was so much that we didn't get to that it includes some bonus content that wasn't in the episode itself. So I'm going to start offering that as a bonus for patrons. Um, and I also wanted to announce that um, I'm really excited to announce that the Chinese translation of my book, Hellenistic Astrology, the Study of Fate and Fortune, has been released as of this month, and it's trending and is available in all major bookstores um, in Taiwan and other areas. So if you want to get a copy of that, um, you just have to go to the website astromages.org slash book. So that page um, has more information about where you can find the book and where you can order it. And um, yeah, I wanted to thank Maki from the NCGR Taiwan group who put together and has been working on this translation as part of a project and a group over the course of the past few years. It came out extremely well, and it was just an amazing, not just translation, but also just in terms of the design and aesthetics of the book. Um, they put just as much time and effort into it as I did the original publication, and it feels really good to have it out there now and accessible for a whole different community of astrologers around the world. So I'm pretty excited about that and wanted to just make an announcement about that. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Right. Yeah, that's great, dude. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So, and then there's other translations in Spanish and Turkish and Portuguese coming soon. So hopefully I have more information about that before too long. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode. So thank you both for joining me. This was great. Thanks for having me. It was awesome to join you guys. It was great to have you. You really brought um, the conversation wouldn't have been the same without you. You brought a, a bunch of, you made us look at things from, I think, angles we don't usually 
Mm. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. very tired. I mean, I'm, I mean to be uh, more effusive. Oh, no, I hear, I hear you. I just, uh, Thank all, you for uh, having me. My effuser is empty. No, but it was great to have you here. Yeah. I really so had fun. Let's do it again sometime. Um, and thanks to all the patrons that joined us in the live audience uh, for this recording. All your comments really helpful and it actually helped us during the course of this episode. So otherwise, I think that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So thanks everyone for watching or listening, and we'll see you again next time. A special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean-Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, synastry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com.